Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle Bird. And I'm Matt Parmley. Whoa! Whoa, what is going on here? You're supposed to be on hiatus, sir. You're supposed to be caring for an infant. What is going on? I have a few hours to myself, and then I will be caring for an infant. So yeah, my, my, uh, my son was born about a month ago on the 21st. His name is Ezra. And uh, my wife, Sarah, and Ezra are both doing really well. And I'm happy to be on the show tonight. So, yeah. You are I am very tired, but I'm always tired, you know. Uh, yeah, this, and I mean, uh, we're, I mean, I guess it's still kind of the plan is to get back to regular recording late, maybe next month. But uh, for whatever reason, you were very eager to talk about Shin Ultraman, and here we are. I think it was. I was more happy just to be talking about something new and fresh. All right. So uh, our guest uh, host thing is very strange today. Uh, don't ask if it makes any sense because I won't be able to explain it. So uh, we have um, our friend Connor, uh, who is usually with us when we talk about Ultraman stuff, um, was uh, uh, – Brought forward from the monster graveyard, um, and uh, um, Connor is actually on a limited uh, schedule tonight, so as we are probably about to talk about Shin Ultraman, he's probably going to leave. Um, <laughs> uh, he was a last-minute addition, uh, very last-minute addition tonight, uh, and that is why he at least stopped by to say hello. So, Connor, hello. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks um, for having me back, guys. Yeah, we'll we'll get you back for like a a proper uh uh guest host spot. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about like fucking uh in the future. Taro Man or something. I don't know. Yeah, like... yeah. Well, um okay, and then also on the call we have uh uh one of our regular uh uh guest hosts here. Um we have uh Kevin Derendorf of Mazer Patrol. Welcome back. Hello, hello. This is my second time reviewing this movie on a show, I think. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Um, and then back for, you know, uh, I have a, a second episode with our friend Lux Edwards in the can, but anyone that listened to our Common Rider Black Sun episode will know them. Um, and... Uh, so that is uh so Lux, thank you for joining us at a semi last minute notice. Not a problem. I have actually watched this movie twice. Oh snap. Hey, I same here. I have two. 
I've watched it once. Kevin, are you? What are you at? Three. Uh, four. Three times in the theater, once at home. All right. Well, there you go. Sick. Um. And uh, so, um, just some uh, some news items to breeze through because we have not recorded a new episode, even though we've been uploading them. We haven't recorded one since. I think probably yeah, probably last week of December or early, or the first week of January. So a bunch of crazy shit <laughs> um has happened since then uh and uh so there's some stuff to talk about um which is why Connor will probably be leaving uh before <laughs> we even get to <laughs> the actual episode itself. The actual episode. Oh, and I I also didn't mention <laughs> people listening are like not knowing what's going on, but that's okay. Uh, at some point within the next 20 to 30 minutes, our friend Tom will be crashing through the Skype barrier like the Kool-Aid man and joining us, um, from what I understand. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I guess uh, we'll start um, with... Uh, so we talked about, you know, there's this Gamera Rebirth uh, series coming to Netflix, and they have revealed the staff and animation studio behind that. Um, uh, and uh, s- I guess surprisingly, uh, we have a director, um, and and not everyone is the happiest about that, but uh, we have uh, Hiroyuki Sashida, who was the co-director, one of the two directors on the Godzilla anime trilogy, um, and, uh, we have the animation studio. Is it Engi? Engi? I think it's Engi. Okay. Um, who are famous for the one anime about the big boob girl. <laughs> uh, U- Uzaki-chan wants That's to hang so out. so specific. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> the anime that had, a. Uh, a poster, uh, a Red Cross poster with that character, and it caused an outcry, and it led to manga a manga artist running for uh, for running for office and going against the LGD uh, the, <laughs> the the LDP, and like people lost their like seats in Congress because of it. So that's like, I guess, what it's famous for. Um, so, uh, Kevin, you are our anime guy. Um, what, what can we, I I mean, what, what can we expect? Do you think, what do you think we can expect? Uh, I don't have like super high hopes for this, just in terms of the, the stuff that we're seeing. Um, one of the, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the person's name, but one of the writers actually has quite a lot of credits on, on MAPA properties, um, like, um, Vinland Saga, which is, is high quality, but it's also, uh, an adaptation of an existing work. So it's always a little dicey when you have, you know, also wrote, uh, Mob Psycho 100, which is, um, very awesome. Yeah, it's great. Popular. Um, but you know, when you're adapting an existing work, it's different from coming up with an original work. Uh, but the fact that we have a six episode show that has four writers is already like kind of a little bit of a, uh, giving me some red flags. That, that's a red flag. Yes. Yeah. And, um, we kind of, 
we're not hearing a whole lot. You know, they, they didn't announce the creative staff right at the out the gate, uh, and I feel like they're they're banking on this concept of of five monsters like by itself is going to be enough to sell it. And I don't that that has me a little bit worried. Um, Seshta is not like a huge kaiju fan. He's kind of a weird choice for this. I wonder if they're just like, well, you directed Godzilla, so you can direct this. Uh, but um, maybe you know, he'll channel his uh, inner June Fukuda. And yeah, but blow us I, away. I, I do think the people that were like, "Oh, this is going to be just like the the Polygon Godzilla trilogy," are like completely full of crap. Because well, it's I, not- I feel like that was mostly uh, uh, Yurabuchi. Is that the name? Yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, Urabuchi. He's he's the guy that is responsible for all of the grim dark suffering in, in anime. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, there, there might be some similarities just in terms of, you know, if this team wants to ape what's going on there, but again, these aren't, I don't feel like this is a team that has enough of its own creative voice to make a solid call yet. It's very kind of not a whole lot of high profile, not a whole lot of people that are, that are brand names. The animation looked pretty janky in the teaser too. Like it was like lagging. Yeah, uh, I mean, it does look like they're going with a with a CGI approach. We haven't seen any human characters yet, so maybe it won't all be. But um, I would not be surprised, given Netflix sometimes cuts corners with its animation, that um, <laughs> they they might go that that route again. Yeah. So there's cause for concern, is what you're saying. <laughs> um, it's, it doesn't, it, you know, it's it's not like you know when singular point was, was solicited and I'm like, okay, this sounds great. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I'll watch this, but it could be something kind of like, uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't raise as much red flags as say like the Ultraman anime did when that was announced. So, you know, we'll see. Remember when, uh, she's Kate Kaneko wanted to make another gamer film. They're like, no, we're going to do this anime thing instead. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> In fairness, he probably wanted money to make that movie, and uh, as we've learned from 2015, uh, Kadokawa doesn't want to spend money on Gamera. Yeah, they that don't do true. that there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, we're going to watch it anyway, because we're us. Um, it's true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Does anyone else have any... Uh, uh, c- Thoughts, uh, concerns, emotional outbursts uh, about this uh, Gamera anime? I mean, I'm not quite as uh, critical, I think. I am worried about the director, obviously, but um, with CG anime, it can be hit or miss. And with the quality of it being a little, you know, choppy looking, I'm okay with a low frame rate CG anime if it's done in the right style, like uh, an Into the Spider-Verse type of thing. I don't think this is going to be that quality, mind you. But uh, I think CG can be done well. So we'll just wait and see how it turns out, I think. Uh, The only other thing is with all the writers, I kind of wonder, with the way it's being presented and marketed, if this is going to be an anthology instead of, like, serialized. Like, each episode is going to be its own thing with its own monster. Well, yeah, it's what? There's five monsters in six episodes? Gamera versus five kai... Or Gamera... I'm sorry, Gamera versus five kaiju? Yeah, so I'm thinking <laughs> no maybe we're going to get, like, one monster per episode or something. Uh, I could deal with an anthology. But if they that do that, be- if they did that, they should get different directors. 
that would be ideal, but they didn't do that. I I just don't have like the energy to be invested or like angry about it anymore. Right. Like that's it, fair. Like I feel like it's going to end up like the Pacific Rim anime at best, where it's like I watched the first season, I'm like, oh, that was kind of cool, and then I never think about it ever again in my life. Um, I think that's that's a very fair. <laughs> at worst, it's going to be the Polygon trilogy, but like. I, I it's like I don't know like the last four Gamera movies are like peak Gamera in my opinion and um, especially the Brave I really love that movie and like this is just kind of like kind of an extra grab you know extra in the grab bag it's not part of the main course so it, if it ends up being really good you know I'll be very you know surprised but very happy but um, it's just like eh, I it's probably gonna just be okay at best and then I'm gonna not remember it from now on. That's how I am more and more now. Like, I don't get, like, upset about stuff like I used to. Like, now it's like if I see something and I don't like it, it's like, whatever. And then if I see something and it's awesome, then sweet. Yeah. Like, I don't, if I don't like it, I, like, don't care these days. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like, um, I mean, granted, I thought Trigger was really bad. But even now, Trigger's <laughs> just like, oh, that was two, that was two years ago. It's whatever. I don't care anymore. Like, it exists. Let it do its stupid smile, smile bullshit over there. Well, and and Trigger has the potential to, you know, ruin a franchise that's ongoing, whereas Gamera is not an ongoing franchise. Exactly. Gamera, this is kind of surprising we're even getting this, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, you'd think they'd do something, but yeah, I mean, it's... uh, It's one of those things where I think most (laughs) of us felt like if they weren't going to do it before, like, they'll probably just not do anything, but, um, you know, here we are. Um, okay. And then also, uh, they announced, uh, a remake of them, which Matt and I have an episode recorded for already. So, you know, uh, we, this wasn't news wasn't there when we did this. Uh, but, because that episode's not out yet, but uh, with the director being uh, famous composer Michael Giacchino, uh, who also directed, I guess, the directorial debut uh, for him was uh, the Marvel Werewolf by Night Halloween special, which was fun, Um, supposedly is remaking them. Um, My immediate... I mean, there's no writer, no cast or anything attached to it, so my immediate thought is this is like something that is announced and then years go by and we never hear anything else about it and we just forget that this ever was news um so basically it's a future john lemay article um <laughs> uh but uh i don't know uh, this was uh, this was definitely weird and surprising news um, not much about this is known. Like I said, I'll be surprised if it even happens because stuff like this gets announced all the time. Um, but there is this little kind of quote from him and, uh, he says, uh, what I love about them is what it's called them. It's about the other, something unknown, which refuses or cannot understand. The current version of them is about immigration and to tell a story about the subject through a lens of this insane science fiction monster movie. Uh, that's extremely vague. Um, I don't know how you could uh, put something about immigration on that story, but I don't know. I mean, like, 
I'll be surprised Monsters if it even happens. Edward's but... kind of like played in that. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I don't know. I could see the ants. If we're going that route, like maybe not like, you know, and this is going to make me a little sad, not running around and eating people. But, um, <laughs> but that, like, I don't know, maybe you could have like the ants like building their nests in cities or they're, they're attacking like crops to feed on them or something. And then you have this whole ethical discussion of, well, you know, do we, do the ants deserve to die or should we kill the ants? Like, you know, we're going to end up killing the ants though. Let's be honest. (laughs) They're not not cute. They're ants. Yeah. I mean, this is one that uh, I, I, you know, I, again, I don't feel very passionate about it. I mean, remakes are another thing I'm like way more chill about these days. Cause it's like, okay, if it comes out and it sucks, then, you know, the original's still there and worst case scenario, you'll probably still have people checking it out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I love the original movie and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my favorites, but again, well, if this even happens, I mean, will it actually, I mean, will it actually be something that's able to be unique or will it just be like every other modern blockbuster where it's just a bunch of action scenes put together and a guy has to reunite with his wife and kids and there's a bunch of cgi green screen stuff and you know characters make you know uh yeah snarky snarky quips and then it it's as inoffensive as possible so you can take your kids your mom your grandparents you know all four quadrants and it's watered down enough that it's easy to consume for any country any demographic in the world you know i don't know but this is part of the mcu (laughs) (laughs) right well yeah exactly i mean is it just gonna be something that's like oh it's like everything else um i don't know anyone have any any passionate uh i mean i i'm like i'm with you kyle i love the original movie it's in my opinion one of the best uh, monster movies of the fifties, perhaps of all time. Um, but like, I, I, I think it's an interesting choice to remake. Um, cause that just, it feels a little out of left field personally. Um, I feel like this would have been like, if this had to be remade, it would have been interesting to see it like, like in the eighties, like when they were doing like the thing and the blob and, you know, all the invaders from Mars and all that shit. Um, I'm kind of shocked they didn't do it back then, but um, I guess now's the time. I mean, but, it, uh, sort of, it sort of was done back then because we got aliens. We also got <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> we, we also got uh, Empire of the Ants too, or that, that that other movie, which as a kid I thought was a sequel to them, and was kind of shocked by like, why is this shittier than them? Like, um, but uh, I think the one thing I'm dreading uh, since Warner Brothers is putting it out is the. Uh, the onslaught of people on the internet going, is this part of the monster verse? <laughs> is this part of the monster verse? Are they, is there going to be a teaser for Varan at the end? Yeah, that's, you can expect a lot of those articles, especially from like basically AI websites now, like, you know, comicbook.com and yeah. all the different <laughs> geek nerd.net is going to have an article. Oh yeah. Like, There's at the end credit sequence, they mentioned North Korea, which hints to pull the sorry showing up uh, the monster verse. Screen well, rant is already they, on it. Make, oh yeah. Screen if they rant make the movie for like less than 50, uh, $50 million, it, I, I feel like it has a chance, but like the, the more money that goes into it, I feel like the more focus tested it's going to be. Yeah. And, yeah, and, right. and, yeah the more, the more expensive it is, the more hands are in the pie 
And, um, you know, I mean, I, I think Giacchino, Giacchino, I don't know how to say his name. Um, but I mean, I, I think I he, like- has a, he has an affinity for old B movies and stuff. Werewolf by Night was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it, really it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, with how much money these big movies cost, I mean, is how much of his voice is even going to be able to, you know, I mean, how much free reign is he even going to have? That's what I, how I always look at it when it's like, this $300 million thing has a director, and it's like, well, unless you're Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, or, you know, Christopher Nolan, I mean, you're probably going to have all kinds of, you know, compromises you're going to have to make. So they were made at like Blumhouse instead of right. yeah. Warner Brothers. <laughs> um. Well, speaking of uh, hands in the pie of big movies and uh, interference, um, so I recently watched a documentary called Theaters of War, directed by Roger Stahl, who's a, a, a professor who. Um, uh, has made this documentary about the Department of Defense's involvement in Hollywood films. You know, going back to the post-war era, um, the Department of Defense, basically, for Hollywood to use their um, resources, uh, so military bases, artillery, um, troops for extras, things like that, um, in exchange for that, they get, like, final script approval, uh, which has resulted in decades of, uh, you know, American movies being um, meddled with, essentially. Um, They provide script notes, um, and uh, this documentary really kind of blows that open. They got their hands on all kinds of uh, uh, documents um, and deals with, you know, the, uh, the... the military and American movie studios. So, it's, I mean, it's already a fascinating topic of conversation. And, and so, you know, the documentary I would recommend, um, it's definitely low budget. Uh, and, um, you know, but I, I think that everything in it is fascinating and important enough to, to check it out. You can, uh, if you have a library card, you can run it for free on Canopy. Um, you can also uh, watch it on Vimeo right now if you pay a few bucks. Um, and there's all kinds of uh, interesting examples, you know, for, for instance, um, there's like, uh, how they interfere with a movie like, um, Black Hawk Down, which in real life, uh, that whole situation was like a big blunder and a blemish on the military. And it was turned into, you know, this heroic story, um, literally to save the reputation of the military, um, how Top Gun, the original, um, I mean, and the sequel, but it, and it gets into why it took so long for the sequel to get made, which is a whole other insane story. But like the original movie was literally a propaganda piece to drive up recruitment and also drive up public opinion of, of uh, the military after Vietnam. Uh, it didn't do so hot on the recruitment end, but it it did improve the public's view of the military since Vietnam. And the reason they do this is because they feel that people uh, pay more attention to movies than the news, which is sadly true. Now, why am I bringing this up? Uh, there is uh, a small section of the documentary about Godzilla. Uh, runs a few minutes long, 
Um, and uh, uh, this segment was um, also reported in Japan by, I think, uh, was it the o- Okinawan Times? Kevin, is that the newspaper? Uh, it, it might be. That, that would make sense. Okinawa it, something. O- Okinawa's where the U.S. military bases are. So, Well, there you go. Um, anyway, documentary is really cool. You should check it out. But um, it, it kind of did renew this conversation that we have always talked about on this podcast. And, you know, a lot of, you know, hardcore MonsterVerse fans have called us dicks for it or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, Steve Rifle wrote a whole article uh, about the MonsterVerse movie's um, treatment of nukes when the 2014 movie, well, I guess it was just the 2014 movie, and got all kinds of crazy, you know, people raging at him. But, I mean, this proves beyond a shadow of the doubt because these are documents that have leaked in their official. Um, so... Uh, Basically, if you want to look at the American Godzilla movies and how the military has been involved, they have a very strange set of rules as to when or when they will not cooperate um, with a movie. Um, one, you cannot show you know the widespread death of of uh, military troops, which is why you know the newer movies you don't see Godzilla you know just taking out tons of tanks and helicopters and airplanes. Um, they have to be shown as uh, military personnel have to be the only people that are ever in charge of a nuclear bomb. Um, so if a nuclear bomb is detonated or transported somewhere, it has to be military personnel doing it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of rules, but those are the relevant ones to this. Um, now, the 1998 movie, um, they did not want involvement with because the military, uh, you know, I mean, you do have some scenes of Godzilla, you know, attacking and taking out some military. Um, and uh, um, the 2014 movie, they were extremely involved, um, down to the script level. Um, and uh, those, the notes, the script notes for the 2014 movie, that they uh, that they gave them have have now leaked, um, uh, and there's a few a few changes. Um, one being uh, when the Muto like uh, when they find the nuke in the jungle or whatever. Um, in the movie, they say it's a Russian nuke. In the original script, it was just an American nuke that the monster stole. Um, in the movie, it is changed to a Russian nuke because, like I said, we have to be the ones in control of the nuke at all times. Um, another one uh, that I think is probably the one that kind of made this go, make this go like semi-viral, as viral as a Godzilla thing can be within the Godzilla fandom, um, is uh, there was a whole scene where Sarazawa gives a speech about his... Um, uh, his either his father or his grandfather, um, their horrific experience surviving the, the, the nuclear bomb. And the DOD said, absolutely not. If this scene is meant to be an apology or uh, some kind of um, criticism of the, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, it will be what they call a showstopper. Um, and that's that's their terminology in these script notes for something that is absolutely unacceptable. Like, if you don't change this, we will not help your movie. Um, and so 
that got taken out and that got replaced with the nature has an order, let them fight thing. Um, now, interestingly enough, they did not participate in King of the Monsters. However, as we know, King of the Monsters maintains that kind of uh, lightweight treatment of the nuclear bomb. My theory on that is in King of the Monsters, they had Sarazawa be the one to detonate the bomb and like the scientists be the ones to transport it. Like I said, they need to, the military needs to be in complete control of these things at all times or else it's quote-unquote a showstopper. Um, anyway... Um, I felt like we should talk about that for a few minutes just because, um, you know, I, I think it's important to consider the current state of Godzilla as a franchise and how, you know, something like the Department of Defense's interference can like almost change the whole meaning, the whole subtext of a franchise. And, and Japan isn't doing that great with this too. Like, uh, if anyone checked out uh, Kevin's presentation on um, Takashi Yamazaki for Kaiju Masterclass last week. Um, name drop, hint, go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> um, in the Q&A afterwards, Kevin and I were talking about how in Japan, you know, Toho themselves are trying to distance Godzilla from radiation and the nuclear bomb. Um, in fact, uh, they it, in the development of Shin Godzilla, they told Hideki Anno, like, we don't want any nuclear radiation stuff. And he was like, well, I want to make like stuff that's, ref- you know, talking about Fukushima and stuff like this is going to be impossible if you don't let me do it. And they were like, no, no, no. And so that whole idea of Godzilla having that half-life, that cringe plot point of he's got a half-life of X amount of months or whatever, that was a compromise. It was an intentional downplaying of that theme. It, it was the only way I know could get any, any word in on that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, like Kevin and I were saying in that uh, Q&A, um, it, it's, it's because it's seen as a controversial topic, and it ties into what we were saying about concerns about a Them remake, is like, okay, how, how much are you going to be sanding the teeth off of this to get it to fit all four, all four quadrants, have no hard set, you know, um, opinion on something, you know, it's be- they want Godzilla to be as global as possible, and, you know, especially here in America, I mean, throw a rock and you'll find someone that thinks that the bombings were necessary, um, you know, uh, you know, the best faith thing you might be able to get out of someone is li- like it was a horrible sacrifice that had to happen. But regardless, the sentiment among many people in the West is that it it was it was something that was needed. And that is very much not in the DNA of Godzilla. Um and and it has resulted in Toho being afraid to include it at all. And um, you know, I the, another, another example is you know Godzilla's atomic ray. They they tell writers working in comics and books and stuff to call it a heat ray now. You know, take that word atomic out of it. So, um, and trying to distance more and more from that, combined with America treating it like you know a firecracker, um. I mean, what do you guys... Th- I want to just open this up as a conversation with everybody because, like, what what do you guys... Like, what does this mean to you guys? Um, and, I mean, we've se- we've also seen it work really well. I mean, Singular Point was just like, you know what? Screw it. We just won't even deal with that. We'll make Godzilla some weird, 
crazy interdimensional being, and you know, I all of us here like Singular Point a whole lot. So, um, I want to I want to get thoughts from the the table here. I have two th- two things that kind of come to mind. One is something bird that I think you said and we talked about in our Godzilla versus Kong review, but basically like thank god they just like didn't address If you can't do it right, don't do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so to to drop the subplot entirely is the best way to go if you're if you're not able to address it in 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 an actual way that that matters. And I think my second comment is you look around the world and you look around like Ukraine, Russia, and like nuclear tensions are now again at a, you know, very, they're, they're just high. And I, I wish we could tell that story again because it needs to be told. And I said that on other podcast episodes, but it makes me sad that the vehicle that we had, which used to be giant monsters and specifically Godzilla can no longer be used in that way to tell what feels like a meaningful story. And that, that to me sucks. And, and because that's how the character started, that's how the character, you know, was infused and, and became other monsters. And those kind of stories matter. And it sucks that Godzilla has essentially been neutered because of these rules. I, I think about like, uh, like early in the Heisei period, uh, there was JSDF cooperation, uh, and then Toho stepped on some toes, and they stopped having it. And honestly, I don't think the quality of the movies really suffered for that at all. <laughs> right. That's yeah. you're right. <laughs> um, so I think bending over backwards to appease really some very it comes across as pearl clutching to me, frankly, uh, that when they're like, "Oh, you can't depict us as bad and, and out of control in any you know." You know, it's it just it feels really um, like there's not a lot of confidence uh, from 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 the top there, and I feel like that's a worse look than yeah, just being like, okay, roll with it, whatever. And uh, on the American side, you know, with the Department of, Ju- of uh, Defense stuff, they, um, you know, it's. I mean, they, anything critical. They're they're the, like they they say they're there to make sure things are like right. But you know, and this isn't like tinfoil conspiracy stuff. Like, there's actual documents in this documentary. Like, I forget what script it was or what movie it was. Oh, I think it was Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage. But um, the original uh, script had a character called the Dentist that would hunt down Japanese soldiers and tear out their teeth. And, you know, the DOD was like, oh, no, that never happened. That wouldn't happen. And, like, there's, like, recorded evidence that things like that would happen. <laughs> you know, and there, there were even I, I movies. I people who have met people that, that claim to have done that. <laughs> yeah, there, there were scripts written by vets, veterans coming back and, like, wanting to share this horrific experience they had. And, you know, uh, re- making reports about these abusive, you know, generals and, and all this stuff, and they're like, that, no, that wouldn't happen, and the guys are just like, we lived it, so it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably gonna piss some people off now, but it's like, you know, it's one, it's just one, another one of those reminders that, like, this country really doesn't care about its veterans, you know, you send them to the meat grinder, they come back, and it's like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to deal with anything (laughs) you have to say, um, but yeah, man, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's it's unfortunate. Um, 
But, you know, you don't have to. That's the thing with the Hollywood movies. I don't know how Japan's stuff with the JSDF goes, but with uh, the Hollywood movies, like, you can deny their notes. You just won't get their approval and you know you'll have to you know it you know it might be a little more difficult to set some things up like the documentary talks about how um you know some war movies that the the dod didn't like the depiction you know they they filmed in like thailand and they would like you know repaint um planes and stuff to look like american planes there um in fact uh speaking of the kaiju stuff rampage um there's the whole sequence at the end where the monsters are tra- trashing Chicago and they're, you know, stepping on tanks and blowing up tanks and stuff. And, and the DOD said, like, hey, you can't, like, you can't do that. And they were like, oh, well, we, we're gonna. <laughs> and they just, you know, they just denied the, the support. You know, I get it's probably a little more expensive. It's a little more pain of a pain in the ass because you have to get all those uh, resources elsewhere. But, like, you don't have to do it. I mean, I'm glad I'm just not a conspiracy theorist anymore. The documents are actually out there. Yep. Uh, yeah. I yep. mean, uh, uh, for for decades now, I've been talking about how the military-industrial complex has been in control of Hollywood, basically, and, mm-hmm. and dictating exactly what can and can't be said in movies with regards to the military um, in order to drive recruitment and, like you said, make the military look good. So yeah. Uh, and, and that's it's inherent even in the most popular stuff today, like the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the first Iron Man movie, and that yeah. movie is that like was, entirely like yep. that's all military. They talk about yeah. they talk about that in the documentary too. There's like I forget what it is. There's like some specific changes that they made uh, that they they had to make to accommodate. Um, like one of them had to do with like. Uh, a confrontation between Stark and his dad that was in the original script. Um, but that's the thing, though. You know, the the Iron Man, you know, yeah, you, you have Tony Stark saying, I don't want to be involved with this, uh, you know, using these weapons in this way. That's still there. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when you bring up the 2014 Godzilla, you know, people bring up, you know, well, the military is shown as incompetent or, you know, ineffectual. And that's true, too. That's still there, too. Um, but that's not really the point. The point is that, like, it, whatever is depicted, whether it's Iron Man, Godzilla, whatever, it has to meet ver- a very specific set of terms about... Um, so, so yeah, you, you can show the military as looking incompetent around a giant monster, but you can't show them getting, you know, killed. Um, you can't show them losing control of a nuke. Like, there are rules that go with it. Um, and that's not to say, I mean, I, I wouldn't say any, like, none of the movies we're talking about are bad. Like, I love Iron Man. You know, I, the, the 2014 Godzilla, I think, um, is one of the better MonsterVerse films. But, you know, these are very real um, topics to talk about. These are very real concerns. I mean, um, uh, you know, it doesn't mean the movie's good, the movie's not good. A good movie with a good story is a good movie with a good story. But, like, the, it is, like, a a concerning factor that I think, you know, instead of just excusing it because you like the movie, I mean, you can still like the movie, but, like, let's actually think about this and, mm-hmm. you know, be critical about it. And I think people are starting to wise up to that, too, because even even the more recent MCU stuff, like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, that definitely had a lot of military stuff going on as far as telling them what they can and can't do. And you can tell that they they really told them to chop that thing up and make it look. Oh yeah, especially um, that last episode. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff, especially with the villains in that movie or that series that just makes no sense in the back half of it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the military meddling with the script. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Kyle. This just sounds like a bunch of woke BS to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, I I think it. I think we've all brought up some really good points about this. Um, going to the, you know, back to Godzilla before I get to the military industrial complex sort of thing. Um, I, it's weird to say that. Like, I think on one hand, distancing Godzilla away from his nuclear origins is kind of. I don't want to use the word problematic, but it's kind of suspicious. It's like, this is, this is his shtick, you know, it's like saying Dracula is not a vampire or some shit like that. It's like, this is what he is. Like, this is what he does. Um, but on the other hand, like you look at like the seventies Godzilla movies, which are my favorite Godzilla movies. And they don't really touch upon the nuclear theme that Godzilla has. Like you look at Godzilla versus Megalon and like, yeah, there's the, you know, nuclear testing being, uh, being done by, uh, you know, various nations of the world. And that's why Megalon shows up, but like, they don't mention, Oh yeah. Godzilla has all this, like, you know, he's, he's born of the bomb and you know, everything like that. Um, so and like Kevin brought up singular point too, where it's, um, they, they just make Godzilla like a monster from another dimension. And like, you know, that show is really good. So like, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I, I think it's weird to distance, um, to distance Godzilla from his origins. But like, I guess it depends on what's being done with the character. Cause like, if we do another, like Godzilla versus Megalon type of thing or something new, I mean, you don't need to have, uh, you know, that sort of, um, angle, but like, if we're doing a more serious, like grounded Godzilla, it's like, you gotta have that. Yeah. And yeah, Kevin and I were talking on that live stream about how, like, with Yamazaki's movie having at least scenes set in, you know, in or around World War II, like, it's definitely a concern. And, um, you know, I just hope Toho didn't softball, make him take a softball approach like they did with Anno. Like, I mean, if you're going to do it, like, have it mean something. Just do it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh,. Theaters of War, uh, check it out. I recommend it. Like I said, it's a little low budget, a little bit amateurish, but I mean, it's still uh, the presentation of all the information is really good, and the information I think is important for anyone that watches a lot of movies to to uh, to learn. Um, and uh, yeah, Lux, you especially, since you can not sound like a raving tinfoil hat lunatic now <laughs> yeah i look forward to watching it actually um all right and then uh lastly just uh i want to take a couple minutes um because uh we um had here in my neck of the woods the kong at 90 exhibit at eastern michigan i had greg who uh is willis o'brien's biographer who co-curated it and provided many of the items from his personal collection um he was on here a, a few weeks ago to promote it but i just want to uh uh kind of talk about uh the exhibit it's like it's just been overwhelming um uh you know you walk in and there's all kinds of promotional items at the entrance and then it goes into you know uh where everything started which is 
Yes, Willis O'Brien. But before that, even with you know uh, original Charles Knight dinosaur drawings, you know he was the paleo artist that inspired O'Brien and and uh, all those guys back in the day. And then you go into the Lost World section, and there's promotional items including you know the toy Brontosaurus, which is the first movie tie-in toy. In fact, uh, believed to be the first dinosaur toy ever made. Um, and uh, um, all these um, pr- promotional items from when the movie came out, and then you know you get into the King Kong section, and you have like real, um, like art, real artwork, concept art, the original drawings, like right in front of you, and it's like it's an overwhelming and powerful experience. Um, and then there's also like they have a, a puzzle, one of the another one of the first movie tie-in pieces a puzzle from 1933 of the original king kong um and then there's some international advertising stuff like there was um an italian pamphlet uh one of the coolest things was there was a japanese um uh uh pamphlet advertising the 33 the 30s release in japan and it was in like pristine condition so that's a paper product that has survived world war ii it didn't get burnt to a crisp like everything else, and it's in like great condition. And um, uh, and then you just keep going. You know, Son of Kong. They had like one of the actual matte drawings that was used for like one of the mo- shots in the movie. Um, Mighty Joe Young. There was a bunch of fun stuff. Uh, one of my favorite things was like this big drawing of a giant Mighty Joe like walking down the street and it was like a concept that Marion Cooper came up with for a like a blimp to advertise the movie like huh. <laughs> and, the, and and it, and it has the letter proposing the blimp and the rejection letter that said I'm we're sorry Mr. Cooper this is not feasible um, <laughs> Um, of course, with it being O'Brien and things being unfortunate for him, you know, there's a ton of art for that, you know, a ton of his drawings and sketch, uh, sketchbook pages for movies he didn't get to make. Um, some of my favorites were Food of the Gods. There's a ton of Food of the Gods artwork. Um, uh, so there's like pictures, you know, his drawings of like giant chickens and stuff. Um, there is, um... War Eagle stuff, probably his most famous unmade movie that was about like uh, Vikings and dinosaurs fighting in a in like against Nazis. Um, Bubbles is one of my favorites, which is uh, like a giant blob movie he wanted to do. Another one called Umba was about these two um, giant Yetis. Uh, one's good, one's bad. I don't know if that sounds familiar anyway, uh, but it's kind of like a proto-war of the Gargantuas. Yeah. Um, some personal items. Um, uh, I didn't know until I went back to see Greg's speech about O'Brien, but apparently he was, like, he could, I think he could read okay, but he really couldn't spell. And so he hated writing. And so whenever he had to make, like, a, 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 a send a letter, he would draw a picture and there was a Valentine that he sent his wife, and it was a caveman and uh, a big uh, stone wall, and it was like all like pictures, and it was like a Valentine he wrote her. Like there was I, and then like a heart, and then I forget what he used for the U. Um, 
Uh, and then it just keeps going. It gets into Harryhausen stuff. So there's uh, Harryhausen's, uh, there's sketches from stuff like Guanji and One Million Years B.C. Um, uh, a, the Medusa, a, a Medusa head bust that he'd sculpted for Clash of the Titans. And then um, even some artwork from the unmade Clash of the Titans sequel, Force of the Trojans. Um, and then uh, And then you get into kind of the other stop motion artists like Jim Danforth. And um, some unmade projects he had, um, uh, and then uh, stuff from uh, like Tim Burton. There was some art from uh, that uh, original. Like th- these are mostly like original pieces, like very few replicas. So Tim Burton had there was sketches from uh, Vincent is Vincent Price um, mm-hmm. uh, short and um, Corpse Bride. Uh, some stuff from um, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, uh, some concept art from uh, Jurassic Park, uh, because that was originally going to be stop motion. Um, there was uh, a a little puppet alien from Mars Attacks, which uh, once again was originally supposed to be stop motion. And even after they dished the stop motion, they used these puppets as stand-ins. Um, and also, uh, if you guys um, know They Live... The little like camera robot thing that's following Roddy Piper around. They had the original uh, Jim Danforth's original stop motion uh, puppet for that, um, and then a bunch of stuff from the Primevals, which is that uh, unfinished movie that Dave Allen, the the stop motion animator, um, was making in the seventies. I don't know if you guys know, but like. Had all kinds of crazy monsters and aliens. He filmed all of the live action stuff in the seventies. They did some animation, and then Full Moon, who he had worked with a lot in his life, um, said, we're going to finish all the stop motion on his behalf. And from what I understand, Full Moon have done all of that, and it should be releasing this year. Um, So that was just some of my favorite stuff that was on display. I mean, I could spend forever in there. Um, And there were some events. Uh, One day there was a double feature of King Kong 33 and Son of Kong, Another day, um, uh, the guy Connor from uh, the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, who was in charge of all of Harry, Harryhausen's artifacts, he came and did a speech. Um, and then the next day was uh, uh, Greg and Connor and um, a, a guy, Ben Harry, who was in charge of Marion C. Cooper's archives. They did a big panel, um, and it was just awesome. Uh, Matt, if you weren't caring for a newborn, I would be totally like peer pressuring you and bullying you to come check it out. Cause like <laughs> it's worth the like four and a half hour drive or whatever for you to come yeah, out here. Like it, I probably would have come, but yeah, that's just not in the cards right now. Yeah. I mean, I posted a bunch of pictures online and you know, you can see pictures online. I took pictures of like everything. I didn't post them all. Cause you know, I want people to check it out. But, uh, and, and yeah, Kevin, I mailed Kevin a program booklet <laughs> Because I had uh, to send him a package late recently, so I was like, you know what? I'll throw one of these in here. It it looks neat. Um, my my only thing I'm like, why why is it called King Kong at ninety when it's really just a general like right? Stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, uh, I I think it's a reminder that like, hey, like King Kong, Kong started this gangster shit. <laughs> in the grand scheme, obviously, you can trace it all back further, but. Um, but no, I mean it was great. I I I was telling Greg like you you could expand this, you could take it on the road. Like this is awesome. They also had a, a an original poster from the nineteen fifties 
uh, re-release of King Kong also, which is pretty much the reason why any of us are are here. Because <laughs> that's the one that made all the money. Um, all right. Well, Connor is still with us, uh, and we can talk about Shin Ultraman. Um, Tom is uh, encountering some kind of Skype issue, it looks like. And he may or may not be drunk. Um, oh, no. This is a... <laughs> Um, so, uh, we'll start with Shin Ultraman. Connor, I'm glad you're still here because I might lean on you. I'm going to lean on Kevin a little bit. I have some notes here just about how this project came together and they're very hastily thrown together and you guys are like (coughs) my dudes for this. So, um, after the success of Shin Godzilla, uh, we heard, hey, they're making Shin Ultraman. And we were like, oh, well, I guess that's not that surprising. Um, now, uh, a few people have talked about how um, they've wanted to do a big-budget Ultraman reboot for a while now. Um, and it actually predates this by quite a bit. Um, and uh, our friend Matt Briquette, who does the Monstrosities vlog on YouTube, a lot of this information is straight-up jacked from his channel, so props to Matt. Um, he's like one of the very few people that actually cares to translate stuff and get behind the scenes information about newer projects because now, you know, we don't get those interviews in GFAN and and stuff and, and, and stuff like that. So it's like someone's gotta figure out this stuff. Um, this new Japanese behind the scenes <coughs> stuff. And he's been really cool uh getting a lot of that information out to us. Um so uh in two thousand ten is when the Fields Corporation acquires a 51% share of Tsuburaya along with Bandai, and that started uh, this kind of uh, desire to take Ultraman globally, um, start this expansion for the franchise. A uh, big reason behind that uh, that they cited was Japan having, having lowering population and being like, hey, we want to make sure this franchise uh, doesn't just stay Japanese. Um, and then... Uh, Kevin, I'm going to lean on you here. The idea for the, like a bigger Ultraman reboot, that goes back to, what, 2013 or something? I mean, this particular version, yeah, uh, Anno uh, did a draft for, for this in 2013 and kind of submitted it as a, as a trilogy, and they were kind of uh, not, not wanting to really go along with that until Shin Ultraman suddenly... Uh, sorry, until Shin Godzilla, you know, made all the money and won all the awards. But that's that's part of what you see um, people talking about, like, oh, they they announced a sequel and and uh, and uh, an Ultra Seven thing. Like, well, they they didn't. They said that when it was originally proposed, that was what the idea was. Yeah. But um, I would not be surprised to see something similar come out. Uh, to what was initially proposed. Do you think that it might, I mean, Connor might be able to answer this. I don't know, but either of you feel free. Um, do you think that has something to do with that weird proof of concept, like short trailer thing from a few years ago that like people still don't really know what that was even for? It might. Um, I, I know that, um, that proof of concept, like that one just, I actually remember when that came out, I thought there's no way this is legit. And then, you know, it, it turned out it was, um, I wouldn't be shocked if super, you know, was toying around with the idea of a, um, a, a new kind of like Ultraman, I guess, reboot 
around that time period. Um, and then, you know, when Shin Godzilla came out the following year, because that short film came out in 20, late 2015, um, and when Shin Godzilla came out and, you know, won all the, the awards, they were probably just like, oh, why don't we have Ano do it? He has this, he came to us, he's got this draft, like, let's go, come on. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, it. I wouldn't be shocked if it was related. I'm not, I, I can't comment too much about that, though. That short seems to be kind of like mired in, um, in a lot of obscurity and mystery. So, so what I've heard about the short was that it was a, an animation test for an AR thing, uh, or kind of, you know, viral marketing for, for an AR thing. But the idea was, you know, if you remember the short is set in, um, Shibuya and that's where the, the field's office is. And the idea is that people would, you know, have their AR Google glass or whatever, and look, look at the, um, the windows in, um, from the office in Shibuya and see Ultraman fighting in the streets. As far as I can tell, though, like my theory is that it seems like it was intended for something a little bigger than that. Because first of all, 50th anniversary was when it was teased for. Uh, if you if you remember, like it it had like uh, what uh, six six uh, twenty sixteen or something like that. Basically for the 50th anniversary, and, it, and the teaser came out a year beforehand. Uh, and also, it was really, really well animated. Uh, I, I know that's a that's a hot take, but like it looks better than it should for an AR attraction. So it really did seem like they they had something else in mind, and that got derailed. Um, management at Subaraya changed around that time, also, so that could be uh, be part of that shakeup. So yes, yeah, so we we talk about management shakeup. So in 2017, that's when we have Takia Sukagoki, <coughs> whose name I may have butchered, I don't know. But uh, he was a, formal, a former uh, big distributor for Disney in Japan. He became president of Subaraya, and he wanted to make Subaraya like a global entertainment company like Disney. Um, and so a uh, big-budget Ultraman project that was kind of in and out of development hell. He's like, you know, let's get it going. Of course, that's when they get Anno on board. Um uh, yeah, like Kevin mentioned, he did have a proposal for uh, 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 Ultraman stuff, and one of those concepts at one point was a remake of Return of Ultraman with Kaz uh, Kazuki Nakashima, um, who worked on Getter Robo, uh, the manga, Ultra Ultra Ultraman Max, Batman Ninja. Another um, thing that he almost did, uh, I know that is around that time was a, a Mighty Jack reboot, um, but these are projects that just, due to his own commitments and um, scheduling and things like that, just fell apart. Um, so, yeah, he was he was kind of the go-to uh, guy for this. Um, and, uh, yeah, like Kevin said, he had that proposal for Shin Ultraman, followed by a Shin Ultraman 2, and then later on, maybe eventually a Shin Ultra 7. Um and uh, yeah, to dismiss anything like that was just part of that proposal. With Shin Ultraman being so successful, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved ahead with either of those. Um, but yeah, that's where Shin Ultraman was kind of born. And uh, he said, you know, his aim was to make kind of a more grounded Ultraman movie that uh, could be enjoyed by adults who like Tokusatsu, and uh, to kind of focus on an invasion kind of storyline um, to depict. Uh, what he described as the current state of Japanese, the Japanese people who are concerned about an invasion they cannot see or feel. 
Um, and that is where Shin Ultraman comes in, and it's directed by Shinji Higuchi. Um, now, Ano is still quite a presence here. Um, Ano has credits as uh, overall supervisor, executive producer, producer, planner, screenwriter, editor, concept designer, cinematographer, storyboard artist, title logo designer, marketing supervisor, a song selector, and mocap actor. <laughs> <laughs> Um. So there's there's Shin Ultraman for you now. Um, I will take someone from the uh, the peanut gallery here. Um, to do our plot synopsis, Matt. How do you feel about doing a plot synopsis? I I feel like I want to ask Lux. They would like to do it. Uh, so you've been volunteered as as tribute, Lux. Well, they've seen it twice now. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from what I can remember of this movie, uh, um, it, it sort of plays out like four episodes of Ultraman that you've already seen, and they're all mashed together. Um, we start out with the beginning of the movie, um, kind of like starting like an episode of Evangelion, and it's got this big montage of all different monsters um, invading Japan, and talking about the establishment of this uh, SSSP, which is the uh, S-Class Species Suppression Protocol, uh, the special team who takes care of uh, these kaiju threats, and uh, all these overlays about how they take care of all these different kaiju. And then it uh, all smashes into the first big scene of the movie, which is them dealing with a kaiju uh, named Naronga. And... As they're dealing with uh, Naranga, they uh, are trying to evacuate the city, and there's a child who is left behind that they notice, and they send off one of the team into the city to uh, to try and save the kid. And um, during all of this, you know, the uh, the city kind of gets destroyed, and you see a, a big giant come down from the heavens, and this is where we're introduced to Ultraman, who. Uh, first shows up as a just a big silver version of himself. You don't see the normal red colors on him yet. He's just a silver giant. Everybody's really confused. They're like, who is this? Is this a threat? Um, and it, it plays out quite spectacularly with Ultraman using the uh, the classic BCM beam and, and destroying Naranga and saving the day. And um, we're treated after that with uh, the person who had gone off to save the kid disappearing but then suddenly reappearing and not remembering anything about anything before that day. So there's uh, a lot of stuff coming up after this with the team um, dealing with him and, and him asking questions about really basic stuff about like, what are humans like this? Why do the humans do this? And, it's, and they all treat it like it's normal, but uh, he's, it's really sort of like Ultraman trying to learn what humans are like or how he can fit into society and not look like a weirdo. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, as it keeps on going, we, we're, we uh, get another kaiju. Uh, this one's Gabora. And um, again, the team's dispatched to deal with it. This one's going after a nuclear waste storage facility. And uh, again, once again, uh, Kaminaga, who is the team member who has become Ultraman, uh, slips away to go turn into Ultraman and deal with the kaiju threat before it uh, unleashes this nuclear waste on everybody and even absorbs all the radiation, which saves everybody there from being 
uh, taken by radiation sickness. Um, it's around this time that the next act in the movie just kind of snaps into place and we get to the next episode, which is an alien invasion, which is the alien Zareb. And uh, Zareb shows up and uh, essentially offers the, uh, the beta capsule to humanity as part of, um, I believe, if, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the, or this, I might be doing this you're, with another later one. Yeah, you're, you're mixing them up. Mythilus was the one that was, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to mix them up because the two of them are literally the same story back to back. <laughs> um, so, no, Zareb so, was like, yeah, don't trust Ultraman. He's a he's a jerk. Um, okay, that's what happened. Yeah, Zareb shows up and, and kidnaps Ultraman and tries to look like an evil Ultraman and goes yep. off destroying stuff to make people not like Ultraman anymore. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, the real Ultraman escapes from prison and uh, goes and, and scares Zareb away. And that's when Mephilus shows up and the whole thing repeats itself. Uh, with with Mephilus being the alien now who's dealing with the government and trying to take over the world. And uh, in this case, trying to offer them the technology of the beta capsule, which uh, can make humans turn huge like Ultraman and can be used as a weapon of war, basically, and to do all kinds of other stuff that they don't really explain. Uh, and the SSSP are, are imprisoned for a while, but they... They try and stop this, and uh, they are able to stop Mephilus's evil plan. And uh, at the end, Mephilus is fighting Ultraman, but in the middle of their fight, Mephilus decides to run away because, uh, as we can see in the background, Zafi has shown up. And that's where we get to the end of the movie, which is like the fourth episode, with uh, Zofi and Ultraman uh, debating whether or not humanity should exist. And uh, Zofi trying, <laughs> Zofi trying to destroy humanity using uh, the ultimate weapon, which is Zeton, uh, which is ends up looking sort of like an angel from Evangelion instead of a monster. And uh, supposedly it shoots this giant beam from the sky and destroys the planet or the solar system or something like that. Anyway, toward the end, we get to uh, the humans using Ultraman's knowledge to... Uh, come up with a plot to destroy Zeton. They put it into place, and Ultraman goes and saves everybody, but dies in the process. And uh, the movie ends with Ultraman and Zofi having this conversation again about whether or not humanity should go on living. And uh, Zofi is con uh, convinced by Ultraman to to let humanity go on and let Ultraman stay on Earth. And uh, that's where the movie basically ends. Indeed. Yep, that's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I think it is. Tom has joined us. Yeah, there he is. That's the movie. I think. Hey, there you are. I'm glad you could make it. Your mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know how sober this man is. Enough. Sober enough to kick your ass. All right, all right. <laughs> the, le the less sober, the better, I think, for this episode. Oh, hey. <laughs> I, just, I just want to point out that Lux and I have known each other since, what do you think, 2003? Yeah, that's yeah, probably, probably. Been over 20 years. And this is the first time we're ever speaking to each other. Is this the first time you've heard their voice? <laughs> <laughs> 
This is history in the making. Wow. I think a uh, big group hug is in a way. <laughs> <laughs> that also means I've known... I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> that also means I've known three of you for two, like two decades now. Uh, listen, I just had a second child. I don't need. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> I just, I feel old very suddenly. So that was, that was Lux's summary of the plot. Yes. That's where we left off. Now, so Connor, Lux's... yeah, Connor is here. Uh, Connor, I think if Connor's, uh, um, if my time is, if my time zones call? are correct, Connor is probably going to have to peace out soon. So we're going to go with initial thoughts, and before he's got to get the hell out of here, I'm going to have Connor, our Ultraman expert uh, and mega fan, start. Well, I have to say, Kyle, there's nothing more in the world that I despise than Ultraman. The mere name brings my blood to a boil. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I hate that guy. I hate that fucking bastard. Um, He's an asshole. His, yeah, his silver ass pajamas. All Ultramen are bastards. And Shin really Ultraman, Shin Ultraman, Shin Ultraman, you know, displays that. Yes, even even this new Ultraman is a bastard too. Um, no, going going on to the movie though, I I liked it more than I thought I did. I was going to. Um, I you probably aren't going to be shocked that my major complaint of the movie, and I expected this going in, but my major complaint of the movie is uh, it wasn't done with rubber suits. I think if they did this with rubber suits, I would be going gaga over it. Um, I guess my other, and and I can't really complain about this because they've been wanting to do this for 10 years. And also Ultraman itself is kind of in this, but I, I think it would have been kind of cool if it wasn't just, doing the original show um, because a lot of Ultraman for the last about since 2005 is about kind of like a lot of nostalgia and it kind of keeps increasing. We're like hitting critical mass at this point and like, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of that is really cool. Um, but it is getting to the point where it's like, when are we going to have like another Tiga or something, something like really weird and out there. Um, but I think the movie itself, you know, you know, when we ignore those two points, I think it was really, I think it's really fun. Um, it, I like the fact that it does feel like uh, a bunch of episodes thrown together because, you know, my, I, I used to binge watch when I was a younger Ultraman fan, like all these shows, like I'd watch like five episodes of the show, um, a day just to like get through it. So it was kind of refreshing to like have a, a movie that's like, Oh, I'm watching a best of, of a, of a show that's Shin Ultraman even though there's only like five stories for it. Um, and I think, you know, they, Ano and Higuchi really showed like a lot of reverence and respect for the source material. Um, there's a lot of like deep cuts in there that I'm going to, I'm going to briefly get into. Um, like we have the ultra Q sequence, which has like uh, Shin Gomez in it, which I thought was really fun. Um, you know, Ultraman doesn't have a color timer because Ultraman's designer told Narita hated the color timer and um, they wanted to go back to, his original conception of the design. And then we've also got Zafi commanding Zedid because, um, which this is a really deep cut and I, I find it funny, but um, back in the day, they used to mislabel alien, the, the Zetan alien from the end of Ultraman as Zafi. So then there was some confusion of, oh, Ultraman's boss sent Zetan down. Um, so that's fun. 
what else do I like about this movie? Um, there's a lot of Jisoji inspired camera angles, which is always welcome. Um, I think the fight sequences can look really good when they're not looking like weird CGI models. And I, I really like how they made Ultraman seem really alien. He seems like a really weird dude. Like this is an Ultraman that isn't like, you know, like every other host. Like you, if you're around this guy, you're like, this guy's like, you know, touched in the head or something. Right. Like, you know, he's sniffing women, you know, he's emotionless. He's running off in the middle of nowhere. He's, He's just a weird dude. Like, he's an alien. I like that. More Ultraman in, like, the mainstream shows should be, like, more alien-esque. Um, but, no, I uh, I saw it in theaters with um, a group of friends, and some of them liked Ultraman, you know. weren't, And some of them, you know, knew about the character, but, but you know, didn't know a whole lot about Ultraman. And some of them didn't even know Ultraman or, like, didn't even like Ultraman, but they went because, you know, we were – they were like, oh, fuck it, why not? And I have to say that entire group of, you know, myself and my friends, we walked out of the theater and they all enjoyed it across the board. It was nothing but praise. Like they loved the humor. They loved the fight sequences. They loved the, um, the way the plot moved. They loved the pacing. Like, you know, it was a hit. Like, um, and if you look at, uh, the box office for it, like this, this, this was open for what, like three days, three days out of a, out of one week release in, in January. It, it, went to number five at the box office. That's pretty good for a, for a limited release of a, uh, of a Japanese movie based on a 55 year old superhero show that only baby boomers and giant weeaboos know about. So good on that. Good on that. I think it's a, I think it's a fine film. It's not my favorite Ultraman movie, but it's, it's up there. It's, it's a pretty good one. Um, okay. Do you have to get out of here? No, I've got some time for a little bit. I'll uh, I'll scream when I have to go. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, well, do you have any bit besides the use of no rubber suits? I just want to I just want to get you uh, you know have you say your as much of your pieces yes you can before you have to go. Uh, did you what were like your bigger gripes with it if you had any? Oh, bigger gripes for it. Um, well, we got the rubber suits things. I mean, I think the pacing could throw people off. I personally did not care that the pacing was like this, but I know a lot of people uh, would probably look at this and go, where's the plot? And it's like, no, the, the, the plot is, you know, the, the themes. Um, it's, yeah, it's uh, if, unless you already know Ultraman is it, it, it's kind of like impenetrable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think it, it does a pretty good job kind of establishing what Ultraman is, and I think it it's charismatic enough. Like, I mean, look, looking at my friends in the group who didn't like Ultraman or didn't know much about Ultraman, and, you know, they liked it. So, like, I think, you know, for... Um, I actually have a coworker too, at work, who this was his first exposure to Ultraman, and, like, you know, he, he got out of it, he loved it, and he went out and bought, like five of the, you know, the steelbook sets. Um, so like, I, I think in some ways there's going to be people who are like, I don't get it. And then there's going to be the people who do get it. And then that's how they get into Ultraman. Um, but no, I dug it. I just, there's not really much I can complain about. I mean, I, it, it's a pretty thought out movie. I think the, a lot of the stuff they, they consider like, what would in the modern day an alien invasion, you know, be like, or how would how would we react 
to kaiju or how would we react to ultraman showing up and you know sometimes a lot of the shows are able to tackle that but a lot of the newer shows you know lean more so into the um the fantastical superhero aspect which i think is a valid um valid move for ultraman but like it we haven't really had a show like this since like well let's seven x kevin right kind of I mean, honestly, the closest to this might be Powered, like, if you really think about it. I guess. This is, like, a better version of Powered, actually. Um, but, you no, know, in terms of, like, the the theme, like the more adult uh, sort of themes, um, like, what, Nexus or 7X is probably the last time we really started to, you know, touch upon these. I mean, those, if, if uh, we don't want to count Neo-Q. Like we yeah. can count we can count Neo Q if, if you want. Um, I would count Neo Q, but there's no Ultraman in it. Is the thing. Um, right. Otherwise, I would count Neo Q. Neo Q is great. It all of, yeah, all of you who are watching this, uh, listening to this, need to watch Neo Q because it is um, it is probably one of the best Ultraman shows. It's great. Ten out of ten. Hundred out of hundred. Best show. Best Ultraman anything ever. Neo yeah. Ultra Q. Yeah. Um, before we pass it to someone else, um, what are, what do you give it out of uh, five? I think I give it. Um, How many asshole ultra bosses do you give it out of five? I give it uh, three and a half um, asshole ultra men out of five. Okay. I think it's pretty solid. You know, I don't think uh, it's my favorite piece of Ultraman media or. It's not my favorite Ultraman movie, but it's it's up there. It's a pretty good one. It's one I would recommend fans and non-fans alike to check out. Okay. Um, do we want to do one of two more middle ground takes, or do we want the most positive take or the most negative take? Or I guess we have one of three more middle ground takes. Um, what 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 do you guys think? How much do we want to disrupt right now? I'd say we keep on going with the middle ground and leave the uh, the really leave divisive the, stuff leave, for the leave end. Leave the two extreme extremists for last. <laughs> All right, um, let them fight. <laughs> Turn this into a Jerry Springer episode. Am I considered <laughs> one of the extremists here? Uh, well, I'm, you but you are on the more negative most negative end. Kevin is on the most positive Ooh. end, and the rest of us just exist in the middle. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, well, I guess, um, Matt, why don't you go next? I, um, so I've seen this twice. First time I watched it, I was kind of like, meh, but I watched it a second time. And actually, for whatever reason, it just seemed to click with me more and I got a lot more enjoyment out of it. Um, I don't like, I, I totally understand the, the gripe about the suits I just have sort of said, look, I know that the suits aren't going to come back ever, and that sucks to say. Well, I think all of us here prefer practical effects, but I the effects didn't bother me. I actually, except for Zeton, which I thought looked like weird origami from PlayStation Two. Um, I have some complaints about the pacing. I, you know, the fact that it is four basically episodes kind of woven together, but. You know, stuff happens almost too quickly to get resolved immediately. Uh, one example of that is the government kind of comes in and basically tries to hold Ultraman captive by saying, hey, either come with us 
or we can't guarantee the SSSP safety. And they have uh, basically the military stationed outside the building and in and inside the hallways. And Ultraman shuts that conversation down in like 45 seconds. And then we never talk about that again. So they introduced this problem, which I actually think was really interesting and they solve it immediately. And I think if you chop that out, you lose nothing in the film. There's no, there's nothing to be gained from having that in the movie. If you're not going to spend more time with it. And I wish stuff like that, um, they would have either committed to it fully versus, you know, kind of doing what they did. Um, I also, Asami's character, I think that's who the, her name is. Um, so she, <laughs> my gripe with her character is that I actually think she's very charismatic and can be pretty charming. She's my favorite um, character in the movie. I think. But I also despise how the camera treats her. I think the camera sort of ogles her. And, you know, like when she's introduced, it very much focuses on her legs or some very uncomfortable camera angles. Um, I know it's a really common trope, especially through like anime and things. But it does bother me here. It feels very much, in my opinion, out of place. Um, and some of the other characters, like especially scientist guy who at the end of the film, he kind of comes up. He works through, with Ultraman's data to come up with the solve to ultimately be able to work with Ultraman to defeat Zeton. The problem is up until that point, I felt like his character served no purpose in the movie. I would say the same thing about Potato Bag or Potato Chips Lady, who like she's there supposed to be like this quippy, sarcastic, cynical I'm going to eat, you know, bags of potato chips when I'm stressed, but I don't feel the same sort of energy that Asami's character has. And frankly, you could cut those two characters out of the film and I don't think they would matter. That all you, said, wait, are you I, saying you can cut Asami out of the out of the movie? No, the other non. Okay. <clears throat> I was yeah, going to yeah. say, well, uh, no. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, not Asami. Um, okay. So it was the other female character. And I actually think, though, overall, like I got more enjoyment. I think this is a movie that, to me, is greater than some of its parts. Like, I think there's some glaring flaws and flaws in the storytelling, but I did enjoy it a lot. And so, I'm actually pretty much in alignment with Connor and how he feels overall about the movie. I'm mo I'm actually mostly positive. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I had a fun time with it. I just think there's some issues that could have been figured out if they had um, committed to some of the story ideas. Like, I love the beta capsule idea, the fact that they could basically turn humans into weapons, mm -hmm. and that the aliens would actually want to come down and use humans in that capacity is sort of terrifying but i think it's a really interesting way to think about the fact that beta capsule technology exists and can be used by other life forms besides just ultraman like that's a really unique i think cool idea or maybe i mean might it kind of reminds me of guyver in a way but like it's there's some cool stuff there and i wish that they could have spent more time thinking through those things um my last quip is i don't like how quickly zafi is convinced that mankind is worth sparing uh you know if, when he comes down it, he's very much like hey these are the rules we're going to basically eradicate mankind they could eventually evolve into ultraman like beings at some point anyway we don't want that that's a really interesting angle to be basically eliminated because on an emotional basis he felt oh i saw their bravery and how they face death and now i'm cool with it like i i don't know it just felt very sort of rushed i didn't it didn't jive with me but again, I had a lot of fun with the movie overall, and I'm mostly positive towards it. Okay. Um, Lux, I want you to go next. I mean, overall, I feel basically the same as Matt and would echo a lot of the same things that Matt brought up. Um, I do want to say that my experience with the movie, the first time I watched it, was uh, through less than uh, regular means. And, <laughs> you know... 
I, I went into it with really low expectations because I'm really not a fan of uh, Shinji Higuchi's directorial stuff um, other than like Lorelei. So uh, going into this, I expected it to be mid at best and probably really bad based off of coming off of Shin Godzilla. Um, but watching it the first time, I ended up liking it so much that I think I overrated it, I would say. So when I came back to watch it again more recently, uh, that had definitely tempered a bit. And I noticed more of what Matt was talking about as far as uh, things in the movie that just they feel like they're running at full speed and, and aren't given enough development time to make sense by the end. Um, you've got characters that are there who don't really matter. You've got uh, Ultraman and Zoffy at the end debating the the whether or not humans should exist when really for the runtime of the movie you don't see ultraman really starting to love humans at any point like he, he's definitely friendly with his teammates to a point but there's no spe- specific scenes where it's like oh man ultraman really loves humans now it's not until he gets to the end with Zoffy where he's like oh i i, I would lay down my life for humanity and it's like where did that come from uh, and, and then, like Matt said, with Zoffy as well, it's like all it took was the one action by humanity, and then all of a sudden, Zoffy is fine with letting humans live, even though it could mean universal disaster once they evolve into an Ultraman-like species. It's it's definitely a strange way to end the movie after uh, so little build-up to that. Uh, again, like my synopsis was as well, uh, I have an issue with the movie being a little too episodic um, rather than telling a, a unified story. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that everything thematically fits well, and, and I do like that it, it paints a, a good overall picture of like the history of the original show and its best aspects. It brings forth all the things that, uh, like Connor mentioned, has shots that remind us of Jishoji. Uh, it has all kinds of little Easter eggs uh, built into uh, everything. So there's a lot of stuff there for Ultraman fans, and there's a lot of stuff specifically here to introduce new people to the series and franchise. And I thought those things were done fairly well. Uh, and I think it's also the action scenes uh, themselves are pretty fun to watch, even being sometimes some really bad CGI. Um like you said, I think everybody here uh, would rather see practical effects, but I will also admit that I don't really expect them to come back as well. So I expect CG to be here from henceforth. And uh, what's here with CG is sometimes not great. Sometimes I liked it. Um, I think it did a good job of capturing a little bit more alien feel for Ultraman in his Ultraman form, which goes along with him being a little more alien in his human form as well. Um, he's kind of lakier than a normal human would look, uh, more like if they had put Doug Jones in the costume, I would say. Uh, but as far as getting into, uh, really negative stuff and my most negative part with the movie would be, uh, again, with the character of Sami, uh, even though I know you love her bird, I, I think <laughs> the, the way that's my the, bay or whatever, the, the way, the way that the, <laughs> The way this movie treats Asami is very strange, and I love the character as well, but there's definitely parts of it where the camera spends a little bit too much time, you know, when she's giant Asami looking up her skirt. 
and there's a little bit too much time um, spent on the whole scene where Ultraman has to sniff Asami uh, to get the smell off of her or whatever they were doing in that scene. Yeah, that was uh, really... And it all comes off a little creepy. Right. And Asami has this habit of slapping her own ass for some reason, as well as slapping other people's asses without consent. And I take issue with that, especially the non-consent slapping other people's asses. It's really weird, and I don't like it. Um, and I don't understand what that is with the character. It might be some Japanese thing, uh, and, uh, and I'm just not getting the context, but I, on my viewing, I didn't like it. Uh, and I also think, going back to the whole uh, upskirt shot thing when she was giant Asami, there was po- the uh, pictures and videos all over the internet of her, uh, you know, basically with her junk hanging out for all the world to see. And it's treated like nothing ever happened after that. Like she, it's like uh, the, the alien, you like deletes it from the internet. It's like, Oh, everything's cool. now. I'm sorry about that. That wasn't my intention. I, I didn't know humans were so perverted, but that still does damage, and she still would have suffered from everybody seeing that. That's it. Just doesn't go away. Like everyone was going to remember it. So the, the movie not exploring that and her characters moving on from it, I thought was really um, not a great take on that sort of uh, scene. Um, I mean, otherwise, it was a fun time. I really enjoyed the movie, to be honest. I, other than these nitpicks, um, and. I think uh, I will wait until the end to give my rating on it. Okay. I guess uh, I'll go next. Um, I'm kind of in alignment with everyone that's spoken previously. I might be a little colder on it. Um, I did like it. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, And, you know, it's it's a movie I would watch again. You know, I liked it enough to get it on Blu-ray, which I don't know, for some people listening, they might might say, okay, that means absolutely nothing coming from you. Um, uh, But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of a... In terms of being a nuts and bolts origin story, um, I, I thought it did a good job of doing, you know, okay, here's another Ultraman origin. Um, I, uh, it's interesting, you know, I, I, people, you guys know, people who've listened to us, you know, in the past, no, I'm not really the biggest Shin Godzilla fan at all. Um, but the things I like about that movie are when it does kind of get weird. And um, I was kind of surprised at just how kind of almost, I don't want to say slavish, but how traditional everything felt. And um, I think that's probably a case of um, Anno being more of an Ultraman fan than Godzilla. You know, I mean, he he turned down Shin Godzilla multiple times. And um, he said, you know, when it comes to Tokusatsu, he's more into the hero stuff. He likes Godzilla, you know, loves the original, all that stuff, but Ultraman is like his bread and butter, you know, the, he he made Ultraman fan films back in the day. So, you know, maybe he maybe it was something where he and and Higuchi wanted to do something a little more traditional. Structurally it is weird and um almost like to your average Joe moviegoer it, all, it could be like impenetrable and decipherable. Um, because it it is very much like four episodes of the show smashed together. And I, and I do think there's some missteps there that do affect the pacing. Um, 
I don't necessarily mind that it's that episodic, but I think that in its structure, there is some things that I I think may may not have been the best choice. Like having two um, seemingly good alien actually wants to take over storylines back to back. For ex- for instance, um, you know, really kind of that that is where the the pacing starts to become a problem um, for me. Um, uh, I actually do like most of the characters. Um, I mean, Asami and the other girl, the, I don't remember her name, the one that's always eating chips or whatever. Um, the guy who, uh, the nerd guy that has Star Trek and, um, uh, uh, um, uh, Thunderbird stuff all over his office. Uh, I like those characters. Um, the guy uh Kaminaga I believe is the character that um becomes Ultraman. He I'm not too hot on. I like the idea that you know we're watching this guy kind of, you know, uh the movie tells us form a love and appreciation for humanity, but we just we never see it. We just see the guy who's an alien. Um, it's similar. I, I think it's very similar to uh, the Zack Snyder uh, version of Superman, in that the movies are constantly telling us this guy is this beacon of hope who loves humanity, and you know he he'll do anything for humans. And it's like we never see it because he's just such a dry blank slate. And and with this uh, story wise, that does make sense. But we never get those moments of him falling in love with the human race. The movie just tells us that. Um, and so I, I think that's a big problem. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the twist with Zoffy being like, you know, kind of the secret villain. But then the, the, the movie just recycles all this dialogue from the finale of the show where Ultraman's talking about how much he's come to love humans and then Zoffy's just like, oh, well... Never mind then. Like, I mean, it just seems like if you're going to do something that that weird and, and out there with Zoffy, then, you know, go all the way with it. Make him be the big bad. You know, for him to just get to the same conclusion that he comes to in the show just kind of seemed like a missed opportunity. Um, uh, the CG, I don't think, is very good. Um, it's better than some Japanese CG that we've seen, but I think it also shows a lot of where they still need to get with it. Um, to me, most of the the big set pieces looked like uh, video game cutscenes, and and that's an overused, I guess, talking point with CG. But I, I really felt it very literally here. Um, that being said, I think the camera work and the camera angles and the the staging of of those scenes is very good um but the the cg itself isn't there and i also it has that kind of uh pacific rim uprising thing where i don't really feel the the weight of the monsters or ultraman it it everything feels very light um and so uh yeah i and so i i have my my gripes with it i um um I really didn't go in with very high expectations either because of, you know, my kind of distaste for Shin Godzilla and Higuchi's directorial efforts. Um, like, uh, like, uh, uh, Lorelei is, 
I would agree with Lux is probably his best movie, even though it's wildly problematic and horribly problematic. <laughs> but it, but it's a good, but it's a well done movie with a good story. It's just like borderline offensively problematic. Um, but um, so yeah, I mean, I'm 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 maybe a little cooler than the last uh, 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 three folks that that the the last three peeps. That, that talked here. Um, but overall, I w- if someone, oh, did you like the movie? I'd say, yeah, it was, it was decent. Um, uh, and I don't know. I, I still don't, I, I just feel like I, I, if I want to experience these stories again, I would just go back to the original episodes uh, because this is so, just so slavish to them. Um, there's very f- little things on a story uh level that I get out of this that I don't get out of just going back to those four episodes that it's basically remaking. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I I mean, as far as the stuff with the Sami, I don't know. I never felt uncomfortable or weird. I mean, as, as a dude, (laughs) you know, I, I don't know that it's, you know, my, decision whether it was problematic or not i mean i didn't feel like you know i don't know i'm i'm so used to seeing more gross objectification of women in american films or anime or just me just watching all kinds of fucked up stuff all the time so maybe that's like my a little bit like maybe i'm just desensitized to some things i don't know i didn't think the upskirt shots were so up the skirt that they were really exploitative feeling and i didn't really feel like the camera lingered on them much and um i don't know mafila saying you know he didn't know humans were so perverted i i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i chuckled anyway um so the movie's okay uh and that is my take um so i don't know we'll, we'll get down into some nittier and grittier opinions here um, and I'm going to pass it to Tom, who probably uh, has the the lowest opinion of of the group. Initial he, takeaways, sir. Yeah. Um, my very initial takeaway was it was January 12th. It is currently a little over a month later, and I guarantee. I will not see a more poorly made film in theaters this year. 12 days into the year. I kind of guarantee. And that's at least a little bit because I refuse to see Ultra, uh, not Ultraman, Ant Man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> screw that. I won't see that in theaters, but, but like. I, I kind of guarantee I won't see a more poorly made film. And uh, that's just saying, like, it's a worse quality movie in every sort of critical qualitative aspect than Shin Godzilla. But it's a much less, as I called it, and I want to torpedo your uh, your expletive ratings here, but uh, it's a much less shitty one. Um, it's a more poorly made film, but a much less uh, 
negative slash just it's a more likable movie. Yes. Who said that? Me. Yes. <laughs> it's it's much more poorly made than Shin Godzilla, but it's much more likable than Shin Godzilla. It it just I could agree with I that. I really had a problem with its narrative structure. Um I wanna say that I walked away overall relatively positive because in no small part because I watched this movie with a seven-year-old boy who happens to be my son. So I didn't just take some random seven-year-old to see this movie. (laughs) That's good. I took my kid to see this movie and multiple times throughout the movie, he leaned over and was like, this is what I call a movie. And like, (laughs) 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 that's great. That's like, that is why I take my kids to movies, right? Like a hundred percent. That's why I take my kids to any movie is for them to lean over to me and be like, Oh, this is what I wanted. Right. So for, for him to lean over and be like, this is what I call a movie. That's just absolutely what I want out of a movie. He loved, loved, loved. More than I can say, the the Gomez stuff, he was like, oh, oh, it's Godzilla. It's Shin Godzilla, right? Like, he he recognized what it was without 100% knowing what it was. You didn't he have knew- to explain to him the joke. <laughs> yeah. And he still kind of sort of got it. Like, he didn't get that it was a joke, but he, like, he was like, oh, that's Shin Godzilla, right? Like, he... Kind of got it. So that's why I go see a movie like this. And like, I'll say that as someone who has been on this podcast multiple times and called the monster verse, like just the worst, <laughs> just, just the worst, most devoid of personality, just, just safe studio cash in bull crap. That's like why I take my kids to movies, though, is to like introduce them to the magic of movies. And so from that point of view, I generally walked away quite positive from this. But from a filmmaking perspective, from a story perspective, from a plot perspective, I really, frankly kind of hated it and how, how does it and, feel that when it comes out on blu-ray you're gonna buy it and your son is going to watch it every single day until the end of time it's uh i'll say this and, the, and this if you if you know me this is like a compliment it's more akin to jurassic world and less akin to jurassic world fallen kingdom <laughs> where Like, my son wanted to watch Fallen Kingdom for weeks on end, and I would rather have died, frankly. Um, He he watched the original Jurassic World, like, on repeat for, like, three months, and it only got to me after, like, the 25th viewing in a row. This, that's where that, this is. It's, um, as an adult, 
adult viewing this as a person who pays attention to things like like plot progression and character growth it just really bugged me right like Bert mentioned it himself it it tells us that Ultraman feels for humanity but it never shows us that He's he weirdly sits in front of that dead guy's body. <laughs> that's that's like another problem that I have with it. it. It tells us that he walks in both worlds, but all it ever shows us really is that he like took over the visage of this dead guy. And I like would much prefer if it ran closer it's weird because i as a general rule i really like when adaptations veer from their source material because i'm like that's the point of an adaptation if you want the source material just go watch read experience whatever the source material i like when stuff veers but um this you know, takes the idea of Ultraman sort of walking in both worlds, but it just makes it so that he sort of, to my point of view, as uh, as an adult watching the movie, I was like, oh, he just looks like that guy, but he doesn't really share his body. His body is just, as far as I can tell in the narrative of the film, dead. Uh, his consciousness is, as far as I can tell in the narrative of the film, dead and he's just like pretending to be him and so it sort of robs that walk in both worlds thing that the movie is going for um and it really just bugged me and i don't know just like we can beat against this all day but like the the cgi of it all also really I don't know. It it just bothers me. Like, and right? with that, I must return to the monster graveyard. <laughs> All right, Connor. Well, thank you right. for uh, for for this uh, abrupt appearance, and uh, enjoy whatever engagement you're yes doing. And thank you for having me on again. Uh, yeah, I'll, thank I'll you. We'll, you we'll we'll do a normal appearance for you soon. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Sorry, Connor. I, I would have liked to go back and forth with Connor a bit. Um, but yeah, the whole reason I forgive the narrative shortcomings of Ultraman when I watch Orb or X or Jeed is because you're giving me the tokusatsu piece of it. And when you're not doing that in Shin, I have to come down harder on the narrative piece of it and... This just, it's fine. It's less problematic than Shin Godzilla, but it fails to a 38-year-old, oh, God, am I 38? <laughs> Whatever. But it just fails as like a cynical adult coming at a movie looking for your like typical hero's journey type of stuff. I liked a lot of it i'll say like as sort of a, a general idea i feel like higuchi on this one and ano on this one 
got the point, the idea of Ultraman, a lot more than they got the idea of Godzilla. Um, I think they, like, kept the spirit of the overall thing. And so I walked away overall kind of just going off of whatever my kid went off of, frankly, because I was like, okay, like, this doesn't, like, spit all over the idea of Ultraman. (laughs) All right, well, Kevin, you love this movie, um, so tell us, uh, tell us why. Yeah, I've been I've been taking notes as as y'all have been talking. Um, I I might have stopped taking notes and went and got some tums when Tom started talking. But um, uh, basically, yeah, I I love this film. Uh, I think this was my favorite movie that I saw last year. Like of all of the new films that came out, uh, and you know, I I really feel like they completely nailed it in terms of everything. Uh, so uh, I. You know, I, I've I've talked once, kind of at at length, um, on on KaijuCast, kind of going through stuff that I really liked. I really liked all of the the action, all of the adaptations of the previously existing stories in a in a riff. It was a fresh. It's like when you listen to a cover of a song and you're like, "Wow, this is actually a really good cover." And you know, I think that it really does improve over the original in several places. So, um, I, you know, I, I could just kind of go through and, and talk about some of the stuff uh, that was brought up as as y'all were going through, and just kind of like give my reads on it. Like, for an example, the the the, the new SSSP is it does get way more focus on on Asami and Kaminaga. But the way that that's structured is like as a buddy system, so it makes sense that those two are our focus, while the other like pair is off in the background. It's good to have some variety in terms of your characters, so they're not just both like the kind of like brash uh, action action people. You have some actual like scientists on your science patrol, uh, and I liked the personalities that we got with you know the additional characters there. Um, the chief is maybe a little bit bland but the chief is always going to be just kind of like crusty and benign that's the way ultraman shows are so i didn't so yeah i didn't so much mind the supporting character stuff just because like i don't know there's always like members of the team that don't do as much i I, i'm just kind of that's what it was to me i like the chief for what he was that's the guy from uh drive my car right and common rider black awesome might have been my favorite supporting character. I like her a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that, like, some of the stuff with her is is a little bit weird in terms of, like, oh, I can smell through the plank brain. That I mean, that just kind of, like, didn't make sense to me on multiple levels. But the the sniffing scene was a little, little off-putting. I, I can kind of get what Connor was saying in terms of, like, it really demonstrates that he's an alien and doesn't have proper boundaries, but it's also, like at this point, maybe he should have learned enough about humanity for that. Um, But I do think that you do get that sense of of growth about him as he's learning about humanity. That first you see him reading a bunch of books and then he's, he's asking questions and he's kind of interacting at first just with his colleagues, but then he starts going off on his own and interacting with other people and, and the government. And then you see him just like, you know, he has a debate with Methylus like at a bar, like that's not, you know, alien that's that's really kind of embracing that that earthling tradition and i think you really get a sense of like oh he's he's walking a mile in this dude's shoes 
Uh, so that was my read on all of that anyway. And I, I also think that it's when it comes to some of the stuff that you're talking about, like arguments getting turned around quickly, like with Zoffy, it's not so much that Zoffy was that impressed with what humanity did. I think that that is right in line with his his thesis was like, we got to destroy humans because humans could become more powerful in the future. And, you know, humans figuring out how to destroy Zeton is absolutely in line with that. But it's really that Ultraman is willing to make that sacrifice. That's what convinces him. Like, it's, it's you know, that that ally thing where like, oh, we, we have ultra privilege and uh, you, you're not going to listen to the, the the persecuted humans, but, you know, well, you listen to another ultra. So um, I, I, I think also, you know, the scene that Matt mentioned where there's uh, the, the, the government comes in and they kind of like shut things. Ultraman shuts it down really quickly. Uh, I think that that's just an illustration of like how he's he's actually really serious at this point and and that the government is frankly in over their heads and they they can't deal with this like at all. I think that was what what that scene was going for rather than like trying to raise up a whole new plot point. It was just kind of a like we don't we don't have time to deal with these shenanigans. There are more pressing issues. And I really got that sense with the with the ending there with the, you know, Terra Kelvin fireball or whatever that Zeton was about to to lay down. Um I really like the Zeton design. Like I understand why it's it's really unconventional, but you know, it gives that kind of like this is this is unlike anything that we have seen or or dealt with and can like barely kind of comprehend what it is. Um while still having elements of the original Zeton. Uh, I like Zeton. Um, the, the whole deal with the, the upskirting, like, I think, frankly, for a, the character that Asami had been portrayed as, I think she would be more bothered by the whole thing that her body was hijacked and used as a prop than, like, the upskirt <laughs> photography component thereof. Um, but I mean, in terms of like a scene, it it, it shows like Mephiles is definitely like very powerful, and that he can just like snap his fingers and the internet forgets a thing. Um, I I I also want to um, while we're on Mephiles, push back against the idea that we're getting two similar alien invasion plots back to back because Zareb is the one that's like trying to be very deceptive. I think Mephiles is completely straightforward when he comes he's he's very upfront he's like look i'll give you this technology you just have to worship me as a god and i don't think he's ever like hiding anything about that that's his that's his goal all along well he was hiding the fact that he was sending the monsters the whole time well he, he had been there since the beginning i mean i suppose that could be a that could be a part of that but uh like yeah. Well, what? Why? Why even need the Zareb storyline? Like, what does that just, do for the the it, the story? It, it gives a bit of the variety, the awesome the, visual you get in in Ultraman. Um, you know, also, yeah, all awesome visuals because you get a really sweet aerial battle. You get, but you know, kind of, uh, you know, while while you're doing these greatest hits, having having that story with the imitation Ultraman, it shows how quickly humanity is willing to to turn against Ultraman, which was not really part of the like the Mephilus arc. Is you know, Zareb's whole thing was okay. We want humanity to to turn against Ultraman to to turn 
towards us, whereas Mephilus is more like, we want humanity to want to be Ultraman and replace him. So it's it's a little different there in I, my I, eyes. I, I get that there's differences there, but I feel, I, I don't know, I feel like you could probably consolidate some of that stuff into... Because this movie's two hours, you know, and it. I feel like you could consolidate it to a more effective, like, nine. Could you? Could you consolidate s- certain pieces of it? Yes. I, uh, I'm kind of with Kevin as much as I am probably on the f- furthest end of not loving the movie from him in that Mephilus and Zareb are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Zareb trying to pull one over on people and uh, distract them and fool them versus Mephilus being, you know, uh, upfront and forward about what he's doing. Uh, not to interrupt and, and hijack Kevin's piece of it, but like if you're going to do CG, do something crazy with it that you couldn't do with practical. And I feel like everything that's done with Gabora was done just as well, if not better with practical effects. So to me kind of like cut that stuff and keep the Zareb and Mephilus stuff, especially the Mephilus stuff, because one of my favorite sayings (laughs) is easily the best thing from this movie. Yes. It's the only thing in the movie that I find memeable. <laughs> there Which have been the some most... good memes too. All right, well, Kevin, it's it's you. It's abundantly clear that you you disagree with a lot of the major criticisms here. Is there anything that you, f- you that you feel uh, is more maybe a criticism you have, or something that didn't work for you, or or something like that, or are you just at a straight? You know, look, they they nailed everything that I wanted out of it. You know, there's nothing that um, that you would change, kind of thing. Oh uh, well, like I said, like the the stuff with the you know we gotta we gotta find this in, hidden in the plank brain. So let me sniff you so I can smell it. That was a little weird, and I don't know if I'm if I'm game with that. Um, you know, I I could have used a little bit more time with the other science patrol members but i don't know what i would necessarily cut in order to uh you know you said it's a two-hour movie yeah so. you don't need you i mean yeah you don't need it to be longer yeah and and you know there are definitely you know favorite in in the whole kaiju uh sphere that it could get to but i think for what it was doing this was well structured um kind of I, I'm not gonna not gonna fault it for what it's not because I I know a lot of thought was put into yeah that, which that, which stories it went with yeah that's always a slippery slope you know um so uh well I well Kevin one thing that I guess is more divisive that I how did you feel about the the CG the the, the effects work um not I mean I think we all agree we would rather see you know the suits and miniatures but I mean just how did you in the context of just this movie and and what they gave you. What what is, what are your thoughts? I I thought it looked great. You know, one of my problems with so much CGI stuff is they, in the name of I don't know of realism, I guess, just cover everything in dust and smoke, mm-hmm. and you can't really see what's going on. And there was not that in this movie. It was it was very clear. Well, one thing that I did think was cool that they great did, point. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, uh, what one thing uh, they Excellent. did. 
<laughs> one thing, <laughs> one thing that uh, they did do that um, with the CG that you probably would have a harder time with uh, a suit that I liked was um, just how uh, shiny Ultraman is. Like you see every like it's like a he's he's almost like he's practically covered in like a mirror. Like the silver parts of him are very reflective. Um, and, and so stuff like that, I, I think worked really well. And I actually, I don't know, I'm going to push back a little with Tom because the Gabora stuff with the drill and like his tail splitting and all that, that did seem more like something that you would have a harder time doing as, as a suit. Now with, you know, Naranga and Mephilus, I mean, yeah, th- those are things where I, you know, they could have done more. Um, but you know the half Zareb and uh, the drill Gabora stuff. Um, I thought I thought they did some neat stuff there. I, I also feel like a lot of the time, uh, and it's it, you know you think back to like Tsuburaya using the little miniature dump trucks instead of filming actual dump trucks. Like there's a cohesion when it's all one thing. So if they had been going back and forth between practical and CGI, it might have caused me more dissonance than if they, you know, just kept it CG. Or uh, maybe I mean, if Higuchi was driving the bus there, it probably would be good because he's still like the best at that. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, what what he did for the Ultra Seven Pachinko game was phenomenal, but um, it, I, it did seem like they wanted to go with a little bit of a different aesthetic, generally speaking. Uh- I'll say I think it's a it's an excellent point to say that like the movie's not afraid, scared, wh- however you want to say it, to like display its effects uh, for all its shortcomings and good parts. And I, I think there's some good things that are done with the effects. Well, compared I, to I just King, think... like King of the Monsters, which, I mean, I think overall, yes. anyone, we would all say, you know, yeah, it's a like $200 million movie. Of course it has better CG. But look at how it's shown to us. Like, it's just <laughs> yes. constantly covered it's in crap. <laughs> 100%. I mean, that's... I think this... <laughs> I think this movie... This movie, exactly the way it is, could... And uh, what's the budget on this? Like twenty or thirty million dollars, right? Like some something to that effect. Probably. You I mean, could, I, I I wouldn't I say more than less. yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say more than sixty. I think it was significantly less than sixty, though. Yeah, you could you could double the budget of this movie, and and come with something that ultimately comes in at half or less the budget of like King of the Monsters and project this against King of the Monsters and not tell the difference that much. And it, and that might only be because this movie is more proud of its effects, more competent in its effects and more confident in its effects. But there is a value to that. There's a value. And this is where like, um, I come with, I think Higuchi and Ano work so well together, but when Ano is taking much more of the 
storytelling, directing piece of it, and Higuchi is taking more of the effects and uh, and and staging and shot composition part of it. I think they work really well as to as directors together. Of it, it's about the confidence that you display your effects in this. Does this doesn't look like a movie that's less than a quarter of the budget of King of the Monsters? It looks like it looks like less. It looks like maybe half. It looks like maybe three quarters, but it doesn't look like a movie that's like less than half. And it is. And I I can tell you how much it is actually. This movie is only about two percent. It costs six million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it right there. It looks like it's about a quarter. And for everyone saying it doesn't have a color timer, it kind of sort of does. Yeah, yeah does. the thing where he turns does. green. He runs out of energy and it just changes. But yeah, it's and, just not time based. He overall changes his color. Yes. Yeah. Kevin, was that so something still- that was in like the original concepts for the old Ultraman, or is that a new idea, the turning green stuff? Uh, I have not particularly seen the turning green stuff. I've, I've heard it proposed that the whole, when he first shows up as silver, is a reference to how the, the, the first, you know, birth of Ultraman special was in black and white. Um, I don't know if that's actually the intent or not. I haven't seen anything concrete on that, but it's a neat idea. If so, um, and the and the Zoffy stuff was actually taken from some false plot leaks from an old magazine when the original show was airing, right? Yeah, so Zoffy's that's pretty design, insane. Zoffy's design is basically <laughs> Tolnarita's original Ultraman great design, um, but the the whole story with the with Zolfi being the the villain was like like Connor was saying was that there were uh, original when it was first coming out there were plot leaks that that described you know alien Zolfi uh, as basically as alien Zeton uh, and he had slightly different uh, pictures in, in those illustrations so that's kind of where some of that comes from. That'd be like in like fifty years someone makes like remakes like Godzilla versus Kong and they're like, and, and this is the, you know, here's where Bagan comes and they have to, and it's like, well, we were going like they, they resurrected like these fake plot leaks from the internet or something. The, the, the mega Godzilla, uh, toy or something. Yeah. R- Rodan. Yeah. Rodan in the, the 2014 movie. Yeah. Or the, uh, the human-sized Godzillas in Shin Godzilla? Yeah, the, the human-sized Godzillas running around a train <laughs> station or something crazy. I'd watch that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> no, me too. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with Kevin that like, as much as I'll kind of in general take the piss out of the effects, mostly just because like, I come to Ultraman four. That's because we the, miss the Tokusatsu. Stuff. Yeah, it really is. But and, like, and and it and it's kind of sad when also they're like, oh well, you know, we wanted to show like the folds in the suit, like to so it looks like the original. It's like just use a guy in a suit already. It, yes, that's when you're gonna go out of your way to make your CGI at times look like man in suit. Then like 
why not just use a man in a suit for those times? This is like the same thing with Shin Godzilla, where the 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 model, the statue, the puppet, whatever you want to call it, at those times is like so immobile. Just use the practical effect so that I can kind of forgive it a little bit. Here's something I want to get everyone's thoughts on. And I didn't mention it in my criticisms thing, just because I kind of want to pull you guys here. Um, so Zafi is mad because he's like, you have committed the forbidden, you know, you violated the forbidden rule not to fuse with the human life. And I, I find the term fusion kind of strange. I know it's what Ultraman, you know, classically does but in this it makes it look more like okay this guy is dead i ultraman has assumed his body and then like goes and stares at it in the woods and like thinks about it and maybe feels bad about it or whatever so it it seems more like he's uh an identity you know uh 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 theft kind of thing like more like dan in ultra seven where he he takes on the identity of this guy that's died it didn't seem like the two life forms were fused together the way that, you know, Ultraman kind of usually is. It, it, so it, it, so I think if there was more clarity or more, you know, get rid of the dead, staring at the dead body angle, I think that more like, okay, he's part alien, part human now, he walks in both worlds, I think some of that might come off better. But I, I found the whole use of the term fusion kind of... Con- confusing here. Did anyone else feel that way? I'll I'll piggyback off of you. I feel like that's because I'll let like a more positive view come in next. That was kind of my biggest gripe narratively about the movie is it talks a lot. I I use the term when I talked about my initial impressions like walks in both worlds. I don't know if that's the actual phrasing that they used. That's a line they, from Ghost Rider, the Nicolas Cage okay. movie. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, <laughs> but they, they talked in those phrases. Like they talked about how Ultraman, I, I think like one of the things they talked about, like, again, maybe this is not something you should put on the movie itself. But before we saw the movie, uh, we had a, interview with the actor and an interview with Shinji Higuchi saying that this character is different than the humans or than Zofi and the other aliens, including Mephiles and whatever, because he experiences half of what it's like to be human and half of what it's like to be alien. Or he walks in both worlds or they, they like it very specifically said two different people before we saw the movie said, that's what this story is. And I was on board with that notion. And then for the narrative of the movie that, that we saw, it was not that it was an alien looks like this guy but is not him they're not a shared consciousness like hayata 
in the original Ultraman or like, like you said, like most of the Ultraman and their host save like Ultra 7 and Ultra 7X. And that's like kind of about it. About it. Most of them are. I'm half Ultraman and half this guy. Um, and that was my that was narratively like my biggest what kept me at an arm's length is I really, really wanted it to be, oh, this 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 guy, this was he was he Hayata in this also? It's Kaminaga. Shinji okay. Kaminaga. I really get another Shinji. Get in, get in the goddamn Ultraman Shinji. Um, <laughs> but I I really wanted him to be. I am giving up my life for this like little girl, right? That he's trying to save, or is it a little boy? I think it was a little boy. Okay, I'm I'm just wrong all the time. Um, <laughs> but I I really wanted it to be. I'm giving my life up for this like innocent and then Ultraman coming in and be like, I'll save your body and your consciousness because you are a good person and we will share this body together. And I didn't get enough of that. Yeah. I think Ultraman essentially like they fuse, but in the sense that like Ultraman's essentially piloting his dead body. I, I think that's like, well, that's not true. Cause we see the dead body. Yeah. We see the dead body. Unless, like, that, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a translation gap there, but I feel like that's... Because otherwise, the merging piece doesn't make sense at all, which is a valid criticism. Like, I, I agree. I actually think that one of my biggest frustrations with this movie is I do think Shinji uh, trying to understand humans, it, all, it comes off kind of cold. And part of that, I think, is because there's not that merged sense of consciousness, which, which I think is a valid... A valid gripe. Kevin, I, would I would like be to curious, see like, what, something yeah. like even in some of the shows they've done stuff like this, where like you maybe get some inner dialogue of Ultraman and Kaminaga talking. You know, Ultraman. You know, he eats. You know, eats. He sits down to eat dinner, and Ultraman's like, "This tastes but. like crap," or something. I don't know. Well, Kevin, you've been able to kind of uh, uh, reverse a lot of what we're saying. Do you have a a take on the fusion element of the the story? Yeah. So, I mean, even in the original series, I don't know if they really fuse as as you're thinking of, because you know, when when Ultraman leaves, Hayata has no memory of right. What, yeah. What happened? Um, and this kind of ends with the kind of asking the audience, like, do you think he's going to remember this when he wakes up? Yeah. Um, you know, my my interpretation of this is that he has uh, Ultraman has has taken on uh, not only Kaminaga's body, but kind of all of his memories and, and his his consciousness from that perspective. So he has his memories, but he doesn't understand why he does the things that he does. So that's why, hmm. you know, he, he can go to his work and speak the language and kind of knows who everybody is. But he starts asking questions like okay, but, like, are we herd animals? Like, strange things like that. <laughs> hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of my my read, is that he's he's really okay. trying to understand what, what the human experience is uh, throughout all of that. Okay. I like that. I would have liked to see a little <laughs> more, more of that. Yeah. Mm. Some of that works 
for me, like as a humorous, like I, I, I would have liked more fish out of water kind of stuff yeah, in general. Yeah, the like, stuff that's there, I, I do like. I think that's like if that's if that's gonna be their take on it. I almost wish they would have pushed that further. And I think that's for me is they they ultimately kind of land on neither side of it. It's it's neither that. Ultraman is unique because he sort of really, really understands this guy because he overtook or shared his consciousness with him. And therefore that's what makes him unique. And it's also neither that he's this real fish out of water. Who's had to fumble his way through human interactions. It's kind of falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, Lux has been quiet. I want to hear from them. Uh, what do you, what's your interpretation of the fusion thing here? I definitely don't like the, uh, the whole reveal with the dead body in the woods when he's talking to Zaku. Honestly, that's the part it, that makes it most confused. That, that's the confusing part. It, yeah. And cause it's, it's, that's, that is the big reveal moment where you see the dead body and they're standing over it and they're talking about how, you know, he took over his form, but then Zafi talks about it being a merge and that that's against the Ultraman code. And it, none of that makes sense, but to really piggyback off what Tom is saying, and I think is correct is this movie had it committed to one extreme or the other either really alienating Ultraman and making him very alien and playing more off of that or going more into familiar territory that we're like other ultra shows have done and making him more of a fusion of human and, uh, and doing that walking in both worlds type of thing and more being more relatable and, and, and doing more human stuff, uh, that also would have been better as well. Instead, we get this middle of the road thing, and that's where we lead to the issues that we talk about at the end with not knowing whether he really loves humanity or not. Because we spent so much time with him being an alien, and then sometimes now with him talking about loving humanity and merging with them because he loved them so much, it's all dissonant compared to what we see in the movie itself. I, th- I think the merging was first and the loving came later that it's, you know, he, I, if anything, the question is why did he feel so guilty about killing a random dude that he decided to, to take on his form and live his life? <laughs> I mean, that's right. a valid it's question. Like halfway <laughs> through the movie, you see him standing in the forest, like staring down over something and they don't show what it is, I believe. And stuff like but that just can... makes me think like, okay, is he going to like tell this guy's family? Like, is he going to like, <laughs> like this guy probably has like a life outside of work that like, he probably has loved ones that are, <laughs> wondering where he is and stuff like apparently so. not he just got really lucky and found the one dude who had no family or friends <laughs> well they, they do say that he you know works in this espionage basically so he, he probably doesn't have a whole lot yeah okay that that that's, is fair that's again that's that's another one of those things that they say but don't show right they like they say oh he's always been a loner who kind of nobody knows what he's all about but like they just kind of tell you that and they just kind of tell you that as like a a way to kind of sort of justify what uh shit what ultraman 
Shinji is doing um, to say like, oh, he's always been a loner. He's always been just kind of by himself. But they don't they don't do enough. We get a little bit of that in the in the initial like Naranga rampage, and he's like the one that's just like, okay, well, I'm gonna go save this kid, and they're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. The thing related that I do want to bring up, and it's it's piggybacking off of this into a, a slightly different subject, is related to Sophie at the end. Um, what are we supposed to assume about the Ultras and the Ultra Planet based off of? what we see from Zofi and how different he is in this compared to what we know from the rest of the franchise. Because when Zofi shows up, he is like not just the ultra cop. He is the ultimate ultra cop. He is ready to kill everybody. And it doesn't matter if they're human or alien. Uh, what exactly is the function of these ultras? It's like, if they're going to these planets and they're still sort of like this, you know, the green lantern core, except they're Ultramen. Uh, what are they doing if they don't have a like prime directive to protect the people who live on the planet? Are they just going there and deciding, oh, well, uh, I had this monster I had to kill here. Um, uh, you all saw me. I'm super huge, and I'm sorry I disrupted your everything on your planet. Bye. Uh, it's, it's, there's something weird going on that I don't quite understand with the actual Ultras in the lore of this universe. And it kind of... I have no idea how they're going to explain it in the sequels because of the way Zafi comes off. It felt like initially Zafi was, he was concerned about them. He, they basically make this comment that humans could eventually evolve to become like Ultraman and they don't want that to happen. And I, I don't know if that means they just simply feel like a threat by that. Um, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I took it anyway. And I think that was the primary reason why he wanted to eliminate everything. Plus uh, then you have Ultraman merging with the actual humans. And so like, they've also established the ability that the humans could be used as weapons in war. So like, maybe it's like, I, I would have loved to seen some of that fleshed out a bit more because I think that concept is actually really fantastic, but we don't get enough of that for my, for my liking. And I think yeah, that all we, answer all we really get from it is, that this the ultras exist and they have super weapons like Zeton, which are made specifically for situations like this, where they must very often go and just destroy entire galaxies just because <laughs> this one planet might be a threat to the universe. At, at some I mean, point. that's that's what they do. This, ultras are like that. This is where, like, the more I talk to Kevin about this, the more I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And the more I talk to like Matt. And Lux about this, the more I'm like, oh, this movie sucked. <laughs> well, I, I like, like I said, I really liked a lot of it. I just I, there's some things but, about it that I wish we would have spent more time doing to make me exactly. enjoy it. I'm nitpicking things that weren't explained well enough in the movie. I yeah. like the movie. It's just yeah. things in it that I felt like could have been expounded upon more. This is this is where I come down just so in the middle because, like, like you said, like I think I'd be I'd be good if it if it picked the lane um you know like 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 you said like is is zofi afraid of humanity attaining ultra status or of any sentient species attaining ultra status right like just just pick a Ah, Lane on that. I just right? assu assume he just hates everybody. <laughs> I 
okay. <laughs> That's if you were Zoffy and you're but, not. So would... <laughs> I mean, does this make Ultraman ultra supremacists in this movie? Exactly. <laughs> That's, That's a... pick. I love pick to hear Kevin's take. I love to Tell hear me. Kevin on this. And it feels like somebody risking their life to save a child is something more universal than just human to me. Like, it just doesn't make sense that that would be the onus for <laughs> what if somebody he like, to come. What if he like watched a dog save a kid from drowning and like became an yeah, ultra just, dog? If he ultra supremacists, then what really convinced this dude to not align himself with the ultra supremacist code anymore? It, it's it can't just be the dude saving a, a kid. All right, well, we, we were asking Kevin a question, and at some point that got lost. What, what Was it Zoffy we were asking is your take on Zoffy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's it's along similar lines to what we get in, uh, you know, Ultraman Cosmos versus Ultraman Justice, where Ultraman Justice wants to, like, destroy humanity because they're destroying the planet. But, like, it's a little bit different because it has that sense of, like, the the Ultras are not all benevolent here, that they actually are just kind of, like, but we want to have all the power, uh, which I I kind of dig as as anathema as it is to the you know very traditional land of light that we see that all loves Earth and blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, uh, like uh, like Lux was saying, I think it's really the, the the question comes down to I don't think it's why Lipia decided to. That humanity was worth saving as much as why Lipia decided was so intrigued to like go merge and, and live among them. Why he had so much guilt that he decided that he had to take over Kaminaga. And maybe it was just the, the little thing of like, maybe he's, he's one of the good ones or whatever. And uh, this, <clears throat> had that, that twinge of like, well, he was saving this kid and I killed him and it was, it was a bad, bad thing. So maybe I, I, I owe it to him to, you know, you know, it's not going to be any skin off my teeth because I live hundreds of thousands of years to just like live out his lifetime in his body or something like that. Yeah, it, it's like maybe, maybe this is the Ultramen are the world's worst parents and the fact that they never would have like they would never would have crossed their mind to save the child. So he was like, why would this guy do this? I want to know more. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It's possible. Um, but again, ex- explore that. Just a little bit. Yeah, more. no, I. It's fair. I. It, it feels like it's the whole Guyver thing, where human, like the idea that humans can be the the weapon, that like that could have been the thing where Zoff, where Zoffy comes in and says, "Look, the beta technology is out there now. Now aliens know humans exist. We need to wipe them out to save other galaxies because if we don't, we're going to have all these humans being taken over by aliens and destroying everything. Like that would have been." maybe a different approach, but again, it, it doesn't explore those kind of things. And I, I just think it, if it had done that, it would have been a stronger narrative overall. Um, so, uh, it's a, it's a do more of that to be like, a a better narrative, dramatic movie for adults or do a lot less of that to be, a more streamlined, efficient movie for people who want to see Ultraman just like uh, shoot that shuriken star 
thing off his head and split some dudes in half. <laughs> um, I mean, to, to offer an example of a way that they could have done things better with a scene that exists in the movie and one that we've talked about and we don't like, well, some of us aren't, aren't don't like it, is the giant Asami scene. If we're supposed to believe that the giant humans are a threat and they can be used as weapons, then do more with that scene than make it a comedy piece where she's just kind of wandering around and bumping into things. Uh, make it look like an actual threat. Like, give her some powers. Have her run around and destroy a whole bunch of crap. Like, make it actually look like there's something there instead of wasting that scene on, you know, potty humor. See, I, I didn't think that that scene was really what what Zolfi was concerned about there as much as like the implication of like these these humans are on the same trajectory that our ancestors were on uh before we evolved into our current states or something like that yeah and that's that's why i was like wondering if maybe he was just like we can't let other alters exist because we just don't want them to which makes it super problematic oh yeah (laughs) um well as as we're kind of winding down uh different aspects of the movie to talk about what I think we should talk about the monsters. Um, and, uh, I mean, design-wise, most of them are relatively close. I mean, we already talked about Gabora being a little crazier. Um, uh, Zareb, we talked about, you know, how we, we dig the half, uh, half, a, half a guy <laughs> design. Um, That's great. I, I particularly love that it's not explained yeah yeah you know like uh a 2023 american film would handhold you through why he's just a front (laughs) of his body um whereas whereas it i was gonna say at least, and and Kevin kind of piggybacked off of this when I when I was talking about it, and and took it to a a sort of better end than I took it to. Of just like that's that's why he's just a front because he as a character is just a front. He is he is like half of what he intends. Um, so like that's great. Zetan is the one shit. I really want to field opinions on because that seems like the one fans are most divisive on. Even within this call, we might have a lot of divisiveness here um, because Zetan is now a, almost like a giant machine, like uh, made of gears almost, that is way bigger than Ultraman and is like a just a like the size of like a. Jeez, I don't even know what he's the size. As big as a battleship, I don't know. Um, uh, and like the general shape looks like Zetan, but it, it's uh-huh. almost like a gigantic machine. Um, and that's the one where some people really dig this kind of new interpretation as this basically this big, almost a mach- machine of mass destruction. Um, how, where where are you guys on this? trying to i'm trying to feel for myself how many ultra episodes 
I've done on KT because I don't um, think you've done many. I think you might have only got I been on Neo Ultra like, Q with us, which is like not the cubes, an Ultra Man right? Maybe the, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, as someone who has probably seen more Ultraman than like your average regular person. I think at this point, I've probably seen more than Bird, frankly. Um, and that's no just doubt. because I, <laughs> and that's just because I watch things, whereas you sit there and be a jerk. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm very okay with kaiju being sort of repurposed into multiple sorts of different things because that's what. Ultraman has done a lot of. I'm okay with it in narrative, but I don't know if it needs to be called Zeton. I'm like, I'm balanced between those two worlds. And I'll pass it off to anyone else. I hated it. I uh, um, I would have hated this with no, with no affinity for the character like coming in. So if this was the only version of Zeton that I'd ever seen, I still would have hated it because I think when I think the execution is poor, it's 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 my least favorite special effect within the movie. I, I think it I think it actually is a bit distracting to be honest with you. Um I think the scenes with Zeton and Ultraman are, are the ones that I got the least enjoyment out of. Um I think it does serve the narrative purpose. That part makes sense. And I think the idea of being like a super weapon is fine, but I really just hate the design work on it. I sort of wish they would have gone with something either completely new or made, I don't know, kind of like Tom said, it is kind of between those two worlds. So I, I honestly, I hated it and found it kind of distracting to be honest with you. I loved, loved uh, the designs for everybody else. So this is the one that I hated. I got to say, I'm probably the most positive here, uh, unless Kevin's more positive than I am. Um, I really like Zetan. Uh, I really like how Zetan appears as far as like uh, both a plot device and uh, in general. I, I like how like enormous and foreboding Zetan is. I like the shots where it shows people... Uh, looking up in the sky during the day and they can still see Zeton up in space in the sky. Like, like he's, he's freaking huge and, and he's looming over them like this doomsday, just waiting to, to come. Um, I, I like that aspect of Zeton. And I think uh, divorced from what we know of Zeton from original Ultraman uh, and other appearances in ultra series, uh, it works very well. Uh, if I came at it as a fanatic for Ultraman, uh, which I would say I, I do like Ultraman. I've seen multiple series and and many episodes from other series in between. So I like Ultraman, but uh, coming at it, if I was like a super fanatic, I can definitely understand why people take issue with this deviating so far from the original material. Uh, my problems are more so with the first two, which are supposed to look more like men in suits and are presented more like men in suits where it's, it doesn't make sense for me to have scenes of them filmed like it's men in suits 
uh, when you could have just used men in suits. Uh, I'm I'm basically with Lux in terms of I I'd like to have a a Zeton that is different from what we've seen before because you know while there's a certain charm in what we've had before it is kind of wonky to have this ultimate weapon just be like another another dude that's you know looks like another guy in a suit for for Ultraman to fight and you know we've had that a few times in the movie. And this is it's something completely different. It's on a different scale. Uh, you know, the like Lux mentioned, I I also like the whole, you know, scenes of it just up in the sky and, and people are just going about their daily jobs and stuff because they don't know what else to do with themselves in this, this doomsday scenario. And it, it really has this menacing feel. Uh, again, because it's it doesn't look like anything kind of it's it's almost like incomprehensible in the the same way that like when you think about an angel like it's just what is this weird massive geometric shapes uh i think that that goes along with some of the you know original ideas that tolnarita was playing around with with the initial design and i i do think that it does have to be zeton because zeton is the last boss for ultraman even the name zeton it's it's z to n and z is the last letter of the english alphabet n is the last letter of the um japanese alphabet and it's just like nope this is this is the omega here this is this is the end game so that, that's my two cents all right um one thing i want to just pay compliment to is i did really dig how they kind of condensed ultra q into like the intro kind of it's kind of like the intro to pacific rim where you get like the world building backstory and i like how the, they used ultra q for that and then of course the the inside joke that i don't know you have to be like super nerdy to get is how it says shin god it, it says shin godzilla like how the ultraman show opened with the ultra q logo and then it says shin ultraman like explodes into Shin Ultraman the same way the old show, uh, the Q logo exploded into the Ultraman logo, and then goes right to Gomez. I mean, that that's that was just like the seven year old that I took to see this, <laughs> who has seen a lot of Ultraman, a lot of what else has he seen? A lot of he's seen a lot of the original Ultraman. He's seen a lot of Ultra Seven. Um, Ace a little, Leo Leo a little. He's seen he's seen a bunch of the the Showa stuff, um, and then he really likes Rube for whatever reason, um, probably because he's seven and stupid. Uh, <laughs> 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 but 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 no, the the seven year old that I took to see this movie, like loved the first however many minutes of this, right? Like all the, the ultra Q stuff, even though he has, he has never seen any really ultra Q. Like he loved all that stuff. And, um, and I, as a 37, my 37, whatever, I'll just say 37. He's seven. I'm 37. It works. Um, I loved that too. I think struggled to find its footing a little bit right after that. Um, and that's witnessed by, for me again, the target audience of the seven year old 
not leaning over to me during the early goings very often and saying like, oh, this is great, you know, but during the back half, like during all the stuff with Zareb, during all, uh, he loved um, Mephilus, yes, he loved that. Like all that, all that stuff. He was like, "Daddy, like in the middle of the movie, Daddy, we gotta get this on Blu-ray. When is it coming out on Blu-ray? Right? Like he loved that, and he loved the Zatan stuff. He he just like there's it misses a little bit between its sort of prologue slash set the stage and its buy-in of what Ultraman is." it's it's missing some of that um but no it it it, it uh it the, like bird said like the the prologue stuff the the ultra q stuff of this is like it's like the best stuff of the movie <laughs> yeah i i had a lot of fun with that um yeah. a quick little piece of trivia that i i think we have to mention before uh, we uh, get out of here is um, the to do Ultraman Spacium Beam. Um, they went to uh, Sato Izuka. I I think that's his, uh, Kevin. Is that did I say his name right? Yeah, uh, Sadao Izuka. Um, anyway, if people don't know who he is, um, he did a lot of the visual effects on kaiju stuff, going all the way back to when he was nineteen years old and got his first job on a kaiju movie which was godzilla 54 and i mean throughout the decades he's been animating godzilla's ray Ghidorah's ray all throughout the 60s 70s um and uh you know into the 2000s i mean he did some animation some ray animation on final wars he's done some ray animation on stuff like uh some of the common rider shows so i mean the guy's still doing it when people hire him um, but he animated by hand the Spacium Beam and Shin Ultraman the same using the exact same technique he did in the '60s. So um, I mean, it's cool that I mean, I, and also you had Ben Furuya doing the mocap on Ultraman along with Ano, because of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it it is pretty cool. Um, I mean, I'm not super uh, into the nostalgia bait kind of stuff that's on screen, like. Having Ultraman and the Zareb Ultraman clone do the exact same fight choreography as the show, stuff like that, I'm less hot on these days. But um, the fact that they're given these like some of these old timers uh, work behind the scenes, like this guy is almost ninety years old, and you know, still like, hey, you know, you made a major contribution to the franchise. We want you to do it again. Use the exact same method, stuff like that. I do think is cool. So. I, I had to I had to kind of give some props there. One thing that's a little surprising, and I didn't really think about this until uh, David Dobko brought it up to me, but like we don't have cameos from the original cast anywhere in this, which uh, they they tend to cameo all over the Ultraman franchise. So I I feel like that was probably a conscious decision. Yeah, yeah, it had to have been, and and I don't know. I mean, I know Anno is. I mean, I know, I know that stuff these guys have done have done can have, they've done cameos before, but um, like I re- I seem to remember hearing that Anno didn't want any Godzilla vets in Shin Godzilla, and he was just like, you know, I just want it to be its own thing. I don't want to do a whole lot of that. With this, it makes a little less sense because there is more nostalgia 
I don't want to say nostalgia bait, but stuff like mimicking the exact fight choreographies of stuff. There's a lot more of that in here, so it is kind of strange. But, I mean, also, those guys literally cameo in all kinds of this. They're all all over this franchise, so I'm okay with it. And it didn't detract from me then that the actors didn't uh, cameo, despite like one of my favorite Ultraman things is Superior Ultra Eight Brothers, which has just like cameos, like it's yeah. built on. Cameos. Well, I mean, also at the time that was made, you know, mo- legacy franchises and legacy sequels, like it wasn't such a cynically calculated yeah, yeah. in thing, which makes um, it kind of cooler that they did it back in like what two thousand eight or whatever. In a way, I appreciated yeah. that, like, Ben Faria is not in this, you know? Like, he's behind, he's doing <laughs> some of the mocap, but he's not on camera, you know? He's not yeah. coming in and making, you know, quirky, you know, Easter egg references to stuff, you know? Yeah, in, in my case, I, you know, it, it I, I do feel if the cameos were there, it would feel much more like a wink-nod sort of thing, whereas... Like the use of the old music was arguably just because they legitimately like the old music and they they do kind of transition out of it from the early movie to the later movie as well. So that is one thing. I don't know. We we don't need to get into it because we've been going so long. I the the reuse of the old music, I don't know, it didn't really do it for me. Like same it, I don't find it quite as awkward as Shin Godzilla, because this movie has a little bit I don't know, weirdly, this movie kind of relishes its lo-fi-ness sometimes. Like, I'm thinking, like, the scene where Ultraman is, like, in the in-between dimension, and he's, like, bouncing around this, like, what looks like a scratched-up, like, black-and-white film or something. <laughs> um, uh, so it it doesn't, bo- it doesn't like, sound as weird, but it it is kind of... The stock music and the stock sound effects, like the same explosion sound effect over and over again. Stuff like that just doesn't hit with me. Um, it didn't bug me as much in this as it did in Shin Godzilla. Yes, yeah, I think, I think that's maybe that's just a general overall sort of, uh, approach to the movie of this feeling, this feeling, feels more in the vein and more in the spirit of Ultraman to me than Shin Godzilla feels in the vein in the spirit of Godzilla to, to me. All right, so uh, we've been on about this for a long time. Um, how many... Um, how many... Uh, is it identity theft or merging... <laughs> Uh, staring at dead bodies in the woods, do we give this out of five? I'll go first because I'll be the most negative, I think. Um, I really, again, just to just to echo this, I really think Ano and Higuchi understand what works about Ultraman more than they understand what works about Godzilla. And I think 
it comes across in the movie that they like Ultraman more than they like Godzilla. They seem to understand, and this is like, I'll just contrast them briefly against like Zack Snyder. Um, They seem to understand what it is that people enjoy about superheroes more than like a Zack Snyder. Um, And it's the the sort of willingness to look up to this person and the willingness to believe that this person is sort of kind of better than the rest of us and will always be so. Um, and so I think just from hearing some of Kevin's positives on it, I'll bump my rating up a little bit. I was at a two and a half walking out of the theater. Um, I'll go to a three. And I'll say, like, I'll I'll reserve my willingness to bump half a star in sort of either direction at this point off of rewatching the movie and seeing how it plays for me on rewatches. I liked it, and I will say I liked it more than I didn't, and so I'm at a three out of five. All right. Who's next? I'll go ahead and go next. Um... I also would like to say that I think approaching this and having seen it now, I think Shinji Higuchi and, and Ano definitely understand Ultraman, and they they knew exactly what they were trying to do here. Uh, it's just some of it might have been lost in translation, uh, and they tried to do a little bit too much, maybe bite off a little more than they could chew. Um, so it, it, the end, end product coming off uh, with some uh, some downsides. Uh, at the end of the day, I th- it's still an enjoyable movie. I would still recommend it to people, um, both Ultraman fans and non-fans alike. Um, would it be my preferred choice as like a first thing for a non-fan to see? No, I would probably just tell them go watch the original show instead, um, because that's that all of the the show does all of this better. Um, but for anybody who's going to get hung up on maybe the original show being old, then I'd say, okay, you can watch the new movie. It's, it does the same thing basically. And it's new for you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and walk away from this one with a 3.5, uh, dead bodies laying in the woods out of five. Um, all right. Uh, I will go next. Um, I'm at a three. Um, I think it's an effective and enjoyable reboot. Um, the narrative and pacing are a little wonky and I just would have, I just, you know, I do like the characters here and that's why I'm kind of bummed out that I feel like I just wish I had way more time with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would say I liked it. Um, and it is one of those where, you know, I mean, when uh when it comes out on blu-ray and i watch it at home again um you know it, it could i don't see my i don't see my opinion going down i could see it maybe going up to about a 3.5 on a rewatch we'll see or i could also see it staying at a very kind of cool light three um but it is a net positive three it's not a you know it's not a feeling very generous i'm being nice today three it is a, a solid three out of five. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's not quite as off the wall as, 
I was hoping for, but it's also not so different that it feels not like Ultraman to me, which is how I feel about a similar movie, Ultraman the Next, which I like, but it it just it is missing some Ultramanness for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it is a movie I would tell people to go check out. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm curious where they could lead sequels, but with, given how long these guys take to do anything, uh, you know, who knows when that'll be? <laughs> you know, I mean, Shin Kamen Rider was in the has been in the works since 2013, and you know, of course, the rebuilds took a billion years. So I don't know. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a three, and it's it's a recommendable three. Um, uh, I want to do Matt. I want Matt to go next, and I want to wrap with Kevin because Kevin is going to be. I, I think wrapping it on the most positive is is a good is a good call. So Kevin, what you're what's like your quarter? Here? You're like a quarter level above where I am. I think probably <laughs> yeah. I liked it, and uh, it was my my son liked it. Much like Tom's son, uh, Landon had a good time with it. We're actually on our way through Leo. We have like 10 episodes left. But he he enjoyed it with me, and I think there's a lot to like here. I've already stated all my issues. But overall, as I mentioned earlier, this is a movie that I have a lot more enjoyment. I think it the enjoyment is better than what the movie is. And so I'm going to come in at a three and a half. I think it's a really fun movie. Um, and it's one that like I would recommend to people. I think most people probably will end up liking it uh so i'm gonna go a three and a half out of five all right kevin take us home uh so yeah as i said i i really love this movie it's possibly my favorite ultraman movie uh you know the next is is definitely uh, a strong contender but they're so apples and oranges that it's it kind of depends on the vibe that i'm going for but if i want something that really distills the essence of, of ultraman i feel like this kind of does it better than you know, any, any of the TV show movies that I, I I've seen. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of visceral enjoyment for me. So maybe because of that, I am doing, you know, convoluted mental gymnastics to justify certain plot points that, uh, are, are bothering you all more. But, you know, frankly, I, I feel like if something is viscerally enjoyable, that makes it a good movie. So, um, that's 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 my hot take anyway. Well, I, at the end of the day, that's all I ask for, you know. Hey, I'll say just to piggyback off you a little bit, like in my letterbox review, I said this feels a lot like an Ultraman movie, though. Keep in mind, I personally think most Ultraman movies have either no or a confusing narrative thrust <laughs> and just feel like excuses to to parade product onto the screen in order to get people to buy the product, which is shows and toys. That said, this is not anywhere near as creatively bankrupt that I feel like I was just having toys pushed at me for 110 minutes. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, if you compare this to like Ultraman trigger where it's, Hey, you remember Tiga? We have read the plot synopsis of Tiga. Here are some elements that you might have remembered from Tiga watching however many years ago. Ugh. Like this really feels like this is made by people that understand what Ultraman is all about as opposed to just, you know, throwing name recognition at, at audiences. And aren't just trying to sell you toys. Like Yeah. As as much as I've enjoyed and as a as like a newcomer to like 
I've enjoyed X and Jeed and Orb like kind of a lot. Those things are trying to sell their audiences toys. And this doesn't feel like that. 100% agreed. I just um, want to say that uh, I definitely remember Tiga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 frustrating with with Trigger. You know, we did a whole podcast review episode on on Trigger, but it's it's very much you know it, it'll throw Gazort out there, not because it has a particular penchant for Gazort, but because they know Gazort's a popular monster. So have that suit walk around and and make an appearance divorced of its original context, that sort of thing. And Trigger is a Trigger is a very frustrating show. And it's I gave up on it. Of, it's the worst kind of nostalgia grab. And this this feels like a, a, where it's being nostalgic, it's it's coming from a place of, of genuine genuine admiration. So from from all of that put together, um I will give it a uh, four and a half out of five ambiguous characters from Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention the one actor shows up playing a government uh, aide, and um, uh, it's the guy with the glasses from Shin Godzilla. I mean, they don't say his name, they don't say it's the same character. Nothing in this leads <laughs> would make sense being in, in the same thing, but uh, the same universe, but it, it is kind of a another funny little reference. All right, well, um, get out of here with that. Um, all right, so... Um, <laughs> We've been going on long enough, um, so uh, thank you to Connor for stopping by earlier. Um, thank you, Tom, for, I don't know, half-drunkenly. I don't know what your alcohol intake is like right now. I wouldn't be able to drive. Okay, I yes. Uh, I, I, I could be rude and say I could. I, it, it's a, a little bit apparent. Um, but anyway, thank you for, for coming in late. <laughs> Um, and partially intoxicated. Uh, and of course, Kevin, um, thank you for uh, uh, bringing your uh, Shin Ultra fanboy with us um, uh, to kind of uh, push back against some of the, the criticisms. And of course, Lux, thank you for coming back. Um, it's always a pleasure. And, and you know, this uh, we ran long, but this was a good show. We had a lot of varying viewpoints and opinions and uh you know that's probably more interesting than half the time when matt and i watch some piece of crap <laughs> and just tell everyone it sucks so um but anyway we're out of here uh thank you guys for listening and uh we are signing off hail ultra supremacy <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.